Hello. To the other side, she, she's going. She's very peaceful. She looks very peaceful. I saw two ants running around. Wow, they go. They are racing. <laughs> but it's nice. It doesn't disturb her. She's so peaceful now. She's enjoying all the landscape, looking around. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. This is Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Fantastic, Sean. I uh, don't have anything clever to say about it today. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Um, we are here to discuss uh, Central Park, Wiseman's 1989 film, uh, which he filmed during uh, May and June of 1988. Uh, yeah, and, I've, I've uh, uh, finally joined you in the land of the living with this one. Uh, what's that? What's that mean? Uh, well, you, I think you said uh, the, the Deaf and Blind series was when you were born or you were alive oh, for yes, the production. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was uh, April 88. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so you were born right before this started filming. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Could have could have been any of those babies in the fountain visiting my uncle that summer. Who knows? <laughs> um, I did read a thing from somebody who said that they were looking for themselves. Uh, yeah, as yeah, a kid. yeah, yeah. We'll get to it. Um, but uh, it aired in uh, late April of 1990. But um, I wanted to say before we get too into it uh, that today's guest, um, Alex Sherman. Uh, film professor and, and cinematographer. Uh, we have a great chat with him. Um, but uh, he he had a little tidbit that he wanted that he forgot to share, and so I told him that I'd convey it online. But, um, Ooh, okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's very small, but he said that uh, you know he lives in Chicago and uh, where Jonathan Rosenbaum is a is a permanent fixture. Um, of course. And he said that Rosenbaum was seated behind. Uh, Alex and presumably uh, Marsh um, during Monrovia, Indiana, his 2018 hmm. film. And when the uh, lights came up, he said Rosenbaum could be heard saying, I don't remember his films being funny. <laughs> huh. Okay. Uh, maybe that's because he hadn't seen any since Welfare. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think as we'll get into today, and as we frequently get into, there's there is a lot of humor uh, to be found <laughs> in Weissman, um, and he's he's always professing that uh, for for his films as well. But that is interesting. Uh, good good uh, eavesdropping, Alex. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, uh, kind kind of a uh, you know we we think just getting into it like thinking about linkages between films you know this uh monrovia is uh kind of dealing with something maybe a little similar in terms of like the the preservation of a space mm -hmm. from the encroaching forces of the outside you know mm -hmm. and, and trying yeah, to sure. to stay true to something uh um that had been 
institutionalized previously and is now under threat? Yeah, communities, um, you know, performing their identity and um, trying to like make sense of what that means. Um, and in Central Park, there's a lot going on uh, all the time, and there's a lot of like yeah. overlapping uh identities and, and different like cultural practices um as we'll get into but um wanted to say also up top that this film it's you know it's it's coming off of near death which is you know one of his heaviest films um and so i think we also talked about this a little bit with alex but it feel like you know it's moving from those close confines of the hospital um that's just like feel so cloistered um, to this wide open park. And you, you can just get a sense of, you can almost feel like uh, uh, John Davy just kind of like taking <laughs> yeah. a, a relief, um, a sigh of relief. Um, it, it's, uh, it has a lot of natural beauty in it um, and shot in color. And so um, I, I'm sure Wiseman was thinking about the sequencing of this, um, and it it's nice to go from from one to the next. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could say there's a bit of whiplash there, but I, I don't think anyone uh, would begrudge, you know, that the change in subject matter. It's it's pretty welcome, I think, um, and and kicks off like a, a more playful period for Weissman on the whole. Um, to your point about like Davy and stuff, that uh, Weissman said they shot a hundred hours of footage for this one. Uh, shooting ratio about 33 to one so you know that's that's higher than what we've heard them talk about uh or up until this point in terms of number of hours shot so you know uh, to your point there's always a bunch of stuff happening at once they're probably reveling you know in and just taking in whatever they wanted day in day out um and and i think that's that shows up in the final film uh a couple that makes me think of a couple things. Uh, one, uh, we talk about Wiseman's ability as an editor from scene to scene, but um, I'm sure he's also thinking about that when you talk about Whiplash. I'm, th- I'm sure he's also thinking about the flow from from one film to the next um, mm-hmm. as well. But um, uh, like on a like a minute level, like uh, what was the the films that almost like continue on? Is it um, it was like canal zone to to maneuver or maneuver to sinai field mission i think Mm -hmm. uh where it's like almost the same exact action is happening from one film to the next like the um the uh Mm. army uh soldiers like uh their boots on the ground um that's true i mean i guess if you want to try and force something you know and we'll we'll talk later with alex about this first spoken sequence in the film with like an emt and and a a guy who's who seems to have overdosed um but talk about you know what is alive coming back to um consciousness you know uh opening your eyes there's there's you could you could make an argument there that's interesting um and i think i can't remember we might also talk about this a little bit later but um but the film, just in, ta- in 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 terms of the structure, and and you were talking about how there's always so much going on in this film. Um, this definitely has that mosaic structure um, that Bill Nichols coined. But um, Mamber talks about how key Wiseman's ability in Central Park is to to compress many 
scenarios and potentially longer stories into these extremely brief, like he calls them like cameo moments. Um, and he, he makes the good point that, that he's a filmmaker known for being able to, and also being willing to just let things go on for many minutes at a time, you know, coming off of near death, like we're talking about and that he's able to also compress situations in a satisfying way that doesn't make them feel abridged, but you know, it feels appropriate. Um, that's a, that's impressive that he's able to do both, uh, things. And one of the reasons why he's the best out of their life, of course. Yeah. Um, I think Matt, Matt St. John at, um, UW Madison noted that, I, I don't know where this quote came from, but the Weissman said in this film that each shot is meant to suggest a story. And, you know, I think, I think that, that's very successful you know it, it feels so rich and dense because even even the briefest shots even something uh like like uh business people you know just crossing the frame on their way to work you know conveys an entire narrative about who these people are where they're going how they interact with the park um and you know let alone scenes that run you know 10 20 minutes that are much more explicit about all that yeah for sure yeah. Um, do we want to get into the contemporaneous discourse before we get too far? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, maybe just an, a note for the listeners. We were recording this this uh, intro a bit later than uh, we typically do uh, with our, our guest segment. So apologies in advance if, if we uh, cover similar ground later. I just don't remember everything and, and want to be sure to talk about as much as we can because there is much to talk about oh that's right people probably <laughs> skip right to the interview section anyway <laughs> uh yeah um okay so uh let's start with the washington post tom shales fan favorite yeah, good to have uh, you back tom fan of the podcast um tom shales um he says that central park has the rejuvenating powers of its subject and that it's Wiseman's most successful film. Uh, he thinks that the film is Wiseman's attempt to to reclaim the park from the the muggers and rapists who bring it into the news so often. Um, and he obliquely mentions when bringing up the peace ralliers that the the first half of the film is all casual and funny, aside from the drug arrest. Um, but there are uh, no confrontations until about the halfway mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about, uh, you know, there's also the, the the scene about kicking homeless people out, which we talk about with Alex. But um, uh, he talks about the the perimeter association scene and, and uh, cites a line of dialogue about um, about it. But like, as we've been talking about in these most recent episodes, this doesn't actually do any film crit- criticism. <laughs> just he just mentions stuff that happens, and and yeah. uh, the review just descends into that would you know just uh um just reciting scenes and, and then saying he's a great filmmaker uh, without really questioning why yeah he he's he's uh pretty laudatory you know which i guess for me kind of overshadows some of this uh summarization that routinely happens in these reviews because more often we get summarization and then kind of just varying shades of like, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. T- Tom at least seems to get it, you know, and, and, you know, maybe a, l- a little to his credit um, recognizes that the, the intensely subjective nature of engagement with Weissman's films 
and just kind of is trying to lead people to actually see it um which which is is a you know a service of um like just mainstream newspaper criticism i guess you know uh one one uh, maybe thing worth noting he takes us a, a sly dig at New Yorkers, um, sent, saying Central Park is a place where New Yorkers retreat and repair and lapse into modes of behavior one might actually classify as civilized. <laughs> <laughs> um, but noting kind of, I guess, going against maybe like something something like uh, Denby notes uh, the the different character of this film, the different character of this institution and Weissman's approach to it relative to others where he maybe is a bit more adversarial or critical. Um, you know, this, this seems to be a celebration, uh, mm-hmm. more so than, than many of his films, maybe since like, I don't know, hospital or, or, or blind. Sure. Um, yeah, we'll definitely get to David Denby's, uh, NYRB piece. Um, but, uh, we, we also have, uh, Robert Kohler, uh, for the second, uh, time in a row for the LA times. And he opens by, by saying Central Park is, is one of the only things that makes, uh, New York city worth living in, um, talks about how, how it's a different subject for, for Wiseman, kind of like you're, you're saying, but uses that as he's using it as a tool to understand this urban jungle around it, as he says, um, and uh, Calder mentions that the the film shows how the park means different things to different New Yorkers, which uh, we also will talk more about. Um, and so does Denby. Uh, and I like that he mentions stuff about the how we get to see the underseen part of the park, like the the cops and the groundskeeping crew and, and these funding meetings. Um, uh, something uh, we definitely talk a lot about with Alex, but uh, it's just an important note that like the pulling back of the curtain in order to deconstruct this these events that are happening is just a big part of Wiseman cinema um and it's worth mentioning like it's it's worth like when you're watching this movie thinking about like why is he showing so many uh laborers like tearing down or Mm -hmm. putting up like an event um especially when he's been doing that like for the last like dozen films or whatever yeah, I mean that in particular is is a very key part of this film, and and uh, we'll get into a great piece by Adam O'Brien that that talks about those things um, more in more detail. But uh, Kohler, you know, like you were saying, it's a lot of description and synopsis. Um, but I, w- I want to ask, you know, he he says the typical Weisman institutions are characterized as being like ruled by stress. Um, which is is not the case in this film. Um, how how did that hit you? Do you think that that's a fair characterization? Not really. I think that's that's like the uh, I don't know. We should come up with a term for like the I, I see like the iceberg, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, diagram, <laughs> and at the top of it is like welfare and hospital and Titicat Follies, and then under it is like. uh deaf and blind (laughs) um and and missile uh which i don't know i don't really think of as a stressful organization as much as like they kind of make up stress but um uh but there's plenty of others too that that aren't like canal zone isn't something i don't think of as ruled by stress and um Mm -hmm. there's there's plenty of examples or at least like gray areas that it's a little too hard to, to categorize it uh that blankly 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think, I think there's, um, a tendency at least in this period of, uh, critical engagement to see like the films that are less overtly serious as being lesser, uh, for some reason, you know, um, some, <laughs> something, uh, Denby talks about is like, he seemed pretty uninspired by like model and the store, you know, relative to like his earlier films. Um, but I think, you know, in, in contemporary discourse today, you know, I think, I think those films are all pretty largely celebrated, uh, which is oh, an, sure. an interesting, uh, dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk more about that in that Denby piece. Um, uh, we, we also had the New York times, uh, review by Walter Goodman. I can't remember if we've talked about him before. I feel like we have, but, uh, he's high on the film. Uh, he, he says, uh, it often finds answers without the intrusion of questions, which I thought was a pretty eloquent way to describe, uh, Wiseman's style at times, finding answers without the intrusion mm-hmm. of, que- of questions. Yeah. That's a good um, line. Yeah. For instance, he says the the perimeter association uh, conversations show this type of New Yorker who like seed park projects and and hints at why, uh, you know, presumably for their own aesthetic gain and a sort of like, you know, who knows, property tax type reasoning, you know, mm-hmm. um, and who knows what other type of, of cultural benefit. But um Along the uh, along the same lines, he talks about how uh, Wiseman picks up on racial lines ac- ac- mm-hmm. along classifieds. Uh, these he mentions like lingering shots of of the black maid, which we talk about mm-hmm. um, during the perimeter association scene, and the difference in like race between uh, those that are practicing different sports like basketball and tennis. Right. Um, but he calls the film boring, basically, <laughs> like. It it uh, seems like he liked looking at all the pretty stuff, <laughs> and and um you know was saying saying they could basically chop an hour from this and and still kind of get the point across and have it be a better film, um which you know wrong, um but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, yeah he says like even his admirers may find three hours to be less than riveting uh you need patience and says some scenes go on too long and doesn't like the administrative meetings, which is like, you know, relative to some, you know, talk a lot about like patience and demandingness and like multi-handicapped, like Mm -hmm. this thing moves at such a clip, man. It's like nonstop uh, attention grabbing, just like fodder. I don't know. Like, like I, I was never found myself like waning or, or wanting for something that was more uh, gripping. You know, I was, I was always like pretty invested in whatever I was being shown. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I thought that was weird. You know, uh, Mamber noted that like, you know, this was uh, the age of the rise of music videos and maybe mm-hmm. uh, drawing some comparisons there. But I mean, you know, there, there's no doubt like the, the, the cut, uh, and shot ratio in this film is like has to be the highest of any yeah. to this point. You know, it just it moves um, in terms both of of individual shots and and the the like total number of like individual sequences. Like, there's just so much for sure. Yeah, it's it's weird uh, just to see these uh, writers say stuff like uh, repetition and like 
I don't really see a reason why we keep listening to these meetings and then be like, God, this guy, nobody does nonfiction like this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that is weird. Yeah. And I guess something to talk about too is uh, there seems to be something hanging over a lot of these reviews for when the film was released, um, which is the, the Central Park jogger. Uh, mm -hmm. assault uh, which happened in between the production of the film and the release so it's not anything Weissman was like explicitly engaging with um, but it's something that all these reviewers are addressing and, and reading into it because it, it became a flashpoint for the park it, you can kind of hear the the inferences of that uh, or the implications of those events in the the um uh the luncheon you know because yeah. it's the the implication of you know this wasn't a safe place and now it is and i think that luncheon happened at the very place where the assault occurred yeah um, but yeah. E even even in the boardrooms or even in the hotel room like you can kind of you, you can kind of feel it in the air like the stuff that they don't really want to talk about there's a lot of dog whistles for sure like yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> uh I, I love the one line of like the the polka dot dress lady who's like i'm such an outlet for people who can't get away from all the children's things it's real That's exciting right. <laughs> like like kind of at the same time saying like this is this is uh stuff that is not for me and mm -hmm. i i don't really appreciate but like it's good for them that they have it you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um lastly in terms of just just reviews at that time uh i have seattle times uh john Voorhees. um and it's it's also not a particularly good review, but it, it points out some important things like the change of pace from near death. And um, he he mentions how Wiseman chose the film, chose to shoot the film during during the time that it looks the nicest, like is the most hospitable, which is true. And I didn't really think about it, about like the rest of the year while watching mm -hmm. the film, We're just kind of like focused on this time, um, which is it, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of like the same ethos of like going to a good quote-unquote good school it's like mm -hmm. going to a park at it at the time where it's supposed to be offering the most yeah well yeah. well review overall you know pretty much just listing things that happen in the film and then uh, says like it's a love yeah. poem or yeah. like about new yorkers love and affection <laughs> yeah. for central park whatever okay. um but to what you were just saying about summer you know like coming from chicago and thinking about grant park and just like uh sort of um neighborhood events throughout the city like it you know the um northern u.s metropolitan areas like where that have an actual winter you know every, everything builds up and it all comes out in the summer it's like get it in now while it's nice you know do it all now and it is like such a rich exciting time for all these uh free events in the park and um you know everyone really relishes the season um and it's a beautiful thing so i i, I think it, it was the right choice to film it then I think we'll I'll talk later a bit about um, the Maisel's film, uh, uh, The Gates, about the Christo project, uh, which was shot in the autumn and winter. And, and that it, it was really striking uh, going back to that film after uh, coming from Central Park, uh, because it, it does lend a, a completely different character 
um, in terms of just like who's in the park, what the activities are. And, and obviously, you know, the, the just aesthetic of it, um, because the, you know, it, it, it's a marvel in autumn seeing all those colors for sure. Um, and in the winter, it's like, it, it looks sparse, um, as you would expect, yeah. but, but it's this project, uh, that still draws all these these masses into the park and and uh even even with the change in scenery it it it's appears no less vibrant yeah that that made me think about um just generally the other times that he chooses to film like we we don't i guess i guess we haven't really talked about that like in terms of a choice uh for him mm-hmm. but yeah but like i'll mention it now because who knows if i'll remember when we get to public housing but like what is public housing at uh ida b wells in chicago in november like that's not the same film as shooting it in july and it's not a place you want to fucking be shooting like no, for four no. weeks you know like like well, that too. Be, you know what it'll just be miserable to to be yeah, out but, in those courtyards uh in you know, you chicago you november you won't be filming anything but like people going to their cars or whatever exactly or right bus. Yeah. like yeah uh and by shooting it in the in the dead of the summer, it's just like so vibrant. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah worth worth noting. So thanks, John Voorhees, for your shitty review, for, uh, <laughs> making, making me think of that. Um, appreciate it. Um, so can, can we talk about the Denby piece? Sure. So uh, David Denby, um, uh, well-known journalist, frequent uh, fan yeah a, a wiseman fan um this is like his his second kind of like retrospective piece that we come across and i i think it might have been on the occasion of canal zone that we read his first one or welfare right, but, some somewhere around there i think i think it was about 10 films in but yeah and so this this came out in 1990 in the new york review of uh books um and it's a cons- considerably lengthy uh retrospective and it's coming out uh like around the time of central park and um it's really good uh it's a really good uh piece and thankful i'm thankful that we have it especially without um you know a very keith grant entry at this point yet um that we have like a couple decent chunks on the film uh from somebody who is smart. Like it's, it's kind of funny that like in the opening like sentence or two is more interesting of an interrogation of the film and Wiseman's images than like all the other reviews. Was that the, the bit about homeless toting around their means of internment? Yeah. Like yeah. he's clearly thinking about the images and the tone in ways that aren't just like, and he's shooting this and he's shooting this. Um, yeah. But he, um, he has like he, you know, so he's he's going in and out and talking about like other films and and periods, but um, he has this this passage near the beginning of it that I thought was worth talking about that I want to read. It says the blank conference rooms, the barren marching fields, the listless or demoralized or overexcited people waiting on lines or trapped behind desks or ill in bed become almost a Whitman-esque catalog in reverse, a bleakly witty, witty panoply of American life at low ebb. But Wiseman also finds in these places signs of revolt and moments of remarkable kindness or competence and even courage. 
The cinema, which records the surfaces of things, the actions of the will and the emotions, is a sensuous art form. But Wiseman's work is preoccupied with what one could call spirit. With an intensity usually found only in fiction, Wiseman examines the moral and spiritual life of an institution, revealing the way people are mauled, pounded into shape, ignored, or even ennobled by passing through or working in one of these places. That is, the way people react to authority. And he goes on to follow that up by by saying that in Central Park, what what looked what would have looked like protests in previous films now feels like a right, like people mm-hmm. exercising like their right, uh, suggesting a change in either po- like public political performance or, uh, as Wiseman would probably say, just a matter of you know people at a different type of place. But what's significant is that Wiseman is interested in a place like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, w- whatever that means, whether that means he's interested in reactions to authority here or less interested in that or, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, any yeah. number of things. But it, it, uh, it makes me think about the Barry Keith Grant thing that we asked him about, about like uh, this like growth in humanism, this interest in, in humanism. Mm. But um, I have no idea if that holds water or whatever, but. Uh, I just thought it was interesting, especially in thinking about um, this as sort of like a, the next era of his career. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, well, first I, I like that, you know, he, I think it probably necessary still at this point of, of the writing is, is complicating this notion of like the muckraker, right? He's like saying like, like even, even in, institutions you think are poor or not working you know to their to their ideological you know goals like you still find those competencies you still find Mm -hmm. that empathy you know like there there's nuance to all of this you know and and that probably really bared highlighting thinking about some of the other writing we get um but like, as it relate, yeah, I, I was thinking too, after reading this, you know, what, what are the sites of authority, uh, in, in this film and, and how is it expressed and related to, or contrasted to like, uh, depictions in, in previous films. And like, you know, I think the most obvious, uh, part is, is the t-shirt vending, uh, scene, you know, the, the <laughs> <laughs> which I, th- I think we talk a good deal about later, but, but like, that's the most kind of overt, authority uh coming down on like individual uh activities um but you you see it throughout in different ways you know the mayor of the city is is in this film in two two separate times you know um the no no greater authority local authority right and and along with them you know the the bishop of new york um who appears once in person and once in effigy (laughs) later on um so like uh uh but like, also yeah. i think that I, I think alex puts this well in the interview and and kind of like helped me think uh differently about wiseman's films generally is uh even less than authority is seeing how hierarchy is established within any given context mm-hmm. and like uh we always talk about like uh wiseman says he's looking for where the power is exercised yeah. and and there's plenty of scenes where power is uh like held and like the meetings and budgeting and fundraising and all that type of stuff there's a lot of 
tension and also just like exhibition of power and decision-making ability, but also on the micro level, like, like one of the, the, um, the, uh, topiary scenes that we talk about, Mm. um, of just like places where power is being executed, um, throughout many different like instances. And oftentimes in a film like that, that deals with like laborers and, and who they're reporting to. The power of uh, dinosaurs also. Power of dinosaurs. <laughs> Just physical prowess. Um, he talks, uh, but Denby talks a lot about how uh, Central Park becomes this thing. We, we, we kind of call it like the snow globe later, uh, but that people are projecting onto and they, they project onto it. Their problems with the city uh, or they, they are projecting onto it. This idealized version of the city and nature. And it becomes almost this Rorschach test for yeah. New Yorkers. The park does. Um, and he then talks about how, because of this projection and multiple interpretations of the city, we get a place of overflowing with disorderly life, which mm. is to say that there are many groups that within the film that are acting as like diametric opposites um, that he's talking about, you know, how like we have like the religious zealots and LGBTQ folks and protest groups in the system, but also there's, you know, um, there's poles between the dinosaurs and the religious zealots as well. Like, um, uh, or the tennis house has these, you know, gentrifiers and these like mm-hmm. pressure preservationists uh, or whatever you want to call them. Um, and he mentions that Wiseman has this background in city planning and says that he, uh, quote unquote, appears to be presenting something like Jane Jacobs vision of the city in which the polyglot vitality of the park serves as the vessel of our careless democracy, uh, which I find a really interesting way to put it, because, again, he's not just like he's he's feeding into the grayness of the text and, and allowing there to be like a, a, a grayness um, uh, when you read it, not just saying like, you know, Wiseman saying this or Wiseman saying that. Um, but uh, I was, I also appreciated it because he was talking about Jane Jacobs, who is somebody that I've been meaning to read and I, I should have read like leading up to this, but um, as somebody who talks a lot about parks and the civic uh, duty of it and, and, and social uh fixing of it but mm-hmm. i wasn't responsible enough to do that <laughs> um well you, yeah you took you took that polyglot polyglot quote right out of my mouth because i think that really gets to the heart of it um but i think it's it's projection uh but just as much it's reflection you know reflection yeah, of absolutely. of the new york that new yorkers think they are you know being reflected back to them and then in the activities of the park you know like um there is a bit in this film kind of like i don't know like thinking of like alan's manhattan or something but this kind of like ah new york you know the big apple where everyone you know all walks of life can come together and express themselves and etc etc which is like you know isn't isn't true in different degrees in different parts of the film um but like like you know it's 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 there from the uh wedding officiant who's like you know i think it's perfect today that god brought you here into this beautiful garden in the midst of one of the most awesome cities in the world unquestionably 
a city that touches the world. Uh, to to the mayor's speech during that like uh, Catholic thing with the bishop and the cardinal uh, about like you know the, what what does he say? It's like the citizens of this the miracle of God's eye. But the way that you know and and that projection versus reflection thing goes goes along with something I'm, I'm pretty sure we talk about later about there's this constant push and pull of construction and deconstruction like literally and metaphorically of the park like it's always being built it's always being taken down it's always being maintained you know it's always being reimagined some people think it's one thing other people want it to be something else uh, uh some people say it's already that thing you know like it's it's just never settled i guess is 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 the main thing it's always in flux and it's always malleable which is is like you know uh just the reality of of any civic enterprise um but but in this one in particular that is sort of the locus of like so much um idealism and like you know you you think about films we've seen so far and just like um, explicit public benefit for like the widest segment of of people possible uh and and thinking about uh authority and stuff you know maybe miss hightower comes here after she kicks off <laughs> of work you know just to to vibe and chill out and uh listen mm-hmm. to some Pavarotti in battle you know yeah sure um or maybe she's protesting um <laughs> But uh, yeah, you you talked about sort of like idealism and construction and deconstruction. There's one image that um, uh, that has really stuck with me um, of the woman painting trash on the trash can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just like one of those beautiful things that that um, like we kind of talked about with Alex that just resonates in a way that is more interesting to just kind of like leave it as as like an, an image that resonates with you then then really like take it apart because it's just kind of like it's beautiful like there's something about <laughs> it that is so interesting well and the film is like so interested in trash in yeah. general too you know as, right. as weissman always is in like yeah. j- janitors and custodial work you know but like like the i guess the uh, obfuscation of the accumulation of trash produced by the park which is like immense you know mm-hmm. um but I, I think that that painting scene comes during a sequence of just kind of looking at different modes of like maintenance and construction things like they're chainsawing trees and like kind of uh stacking up all these um chopped down trunks and uh for some reason i'm not sure but like or or masonry work you know but like um i think there's a lot of poetry about labor in this film like the the, yeah the poetics of labor and like just celebration of the many hands that that Mm. you know keep the park intact yeah for sure uh, I wanted to say before we uh, leave it behind that elsewhere in the Denby piece, as you kind of referenced earlier, um, while he he said it, he said it seems that that Wiseman was like running out of ideas to film in the early '80s, presumably like referencing racetrack and then like the model or model in, in the store, maybe. Even yeah. though he talks about the the he interrogates the wittiness of that um, of those films, but. Um, uh, he does sing very high praises for the deaf and blind films and mm-hmm. calls attention to to some of the the moments there and, and says that those films are some of his most moving works. Mm-hmm. Um, talks he, talks about Jason. 
talks about Jason, of course, and then calls near death a masterpiece. So I appreciated seeing that in a contemporaneous piece. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, about the early 80s films, the, the thing that struck me that I was, um, you know, just confused on that read was was he says that they uh, Weissman wasn't fully engaged by those subjects, right, which right. I think, you know, makes me wonder, like, the you know, obviously from the opening of this piece talking about um, the depiction of homelessness, like he's not just looking at things at a surface level, but like, you know, those early 80s films in particular operate on like such a metaphorical and uh, postmodernist level, mm -hmm. you know, that like you you wonder if, if people were attuned to looking for that in those films. And I mean, you know, to, to be... talking about Serafitos, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm talking about Seraphitas. Um, but you, you know, I also, you have to cut people some slack because you got to imagine they probably watched them once when they came out and there's no revisiting them for the most sure. part, you know, unless sure, there's sure. like some, some repertory screening or something. Um, they, you know, we, we watched some of these films like two or three times in the course of a week or so. So like, like. And benefit uh, from scholars. Yeah, yeah totally. Like yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about uh, this idea of influences um, and kind of fold in this this uh, piece from Three Penny Opera or this interview, uh, which I think I talked a little bit about. Oh, yeah, we talked we talked with Alex about like Beckett and Ionesco. I mm. um, but in that or actually in O'Brien's article, um, I can't not talk about the mention of the city symphony, of sure, course, of course, coming back up, um, not necessarily like a direct influence as much as like a, a lineage. Um, mm -hmm. We have Wiseman, you know, carrying on this tradition of the city symphony film with central park and um, O'Brien's article on, on the film talks very briefly about Wiseman's film as, as city symphonies. Uh, he said that the the city films of the twenties were about like shared time, and there was an episode in the the edit on time, and but that Wiseman's films are more about space, which I didn't quite. He doesn't he doesn't really elaborate on that very well, but I'm and I'm not quite sure how much it holds water. But I think both iterations of the city films, both Wiseman's and and the ones from the twenties are inherently about shared spaces and shared time, but I'm sure there are differences. And I don't know if you had any ideas about like their different approaches to capturing um, the city symphony. Well, I guess, you know, if you think about those um, early films, like they attempt to, to be, to approach some kind of comprehensive understanding of, of the cities they're depicting. And they do that as by casting as wide a net as possible, you know, looking at subways, looking, looking at uh, street scenes, you know, looking in businesses, you know, attaching cameras to like <laughs> interesting machinery and, you know, ser serving to uh, convey all this cinematically, you know, Weissman, uh, has more specific interests i think i think so so if you could conceive of something you know like berlin you know shared uh time you know everything in this film 
could be thought to be happening at once. You know, maybe like a bit how I was talking about thinking of uh, the Talladega series, you know, all four films operating relatively simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, shared space here, the shared space of Central Park, you know, we know that it's just impossible for all this stuff to be happening concurrently. You know, some of it can be, um, but you can't have uh, a marathon happening at the same time as, you know, a, a peace rally and, and concert because, you know, there there's only so many, you know, band shells uh, available, right? Like there's the park can only accommodate uh, so much in a day. Um, and we know that Weissman shoots over a period of time as, you know, Rutman and Virtov and everyone else uh, would have as well. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that, there is still an element of shared uh, time there too. It, it's not one or the other for Weissman, right? No. And he's also, we've talked about like how he's using, uh, he's like fabricating um, a timeline sometimes like, yeah. you know, day and night um, in ways that, that he's more interested in than those early filmmakers. Um, and also, you know, there's, there's different ideas about montage and rhythm. Mm uh that he's not as interested in that like avant-garde style but i th- I think there are nods to it though like like and you think oh, about yeah. the the opening you know that's just kind of this jazz trio scoring these s- shots of like the moon against you know a city skyline you know as we sort of ease our way into the park mm-hmm. um he's kind of setting this this macro uh stage for us i think utilizing some of that language established by the city symphony films you know um mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. maybe that goes back to kind of like the whole new yorker like manhattan th- idea you know like like the big apple right like here here we are you know interesting uh you talking about sort of sound layering i did want to mention this one thing because it it got it got uh, brought up in the notcoming.com piece and steve members diary but the um the moment of dougie fresh and the get fresh crew (laughs) And in the polka uh, (laughs) score, like overlapping and how Wiseman like finds like this, like perfect tempo to Mm. overlap them in. Um, And Evan (laughs) Kindly in the not coming piece. beat matching. Yeah, he calls it like a rare moment of technical showiness, which is funny because like (laughs) people don't really think that way when they're watching films most of the time, you know? Like they're not thinking like, oh, well, showing off there with like matching up the beats. <laughs> True. Well, I think I think you know, as with a lot of things in this film, like you have to imagine he encountered boomboxes all over the place. Yeah. You know, we we see him a lot. They were, you know, this is. Uh, gotta also think about like do the right thing. This is kind of the same mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like summer in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Radio Rahim out in the park. Um, but like, uh, yeah, that, that part is great. And just, you know, like we, um, we talked about with just kind of each shot telling a story, you know, the ways very, uh, able to very like efficiently condense this, this sonic life of the park in this, you know, brief sequence of just kind of like flipping through radio stations almost. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's very seamless. It scores like all these kind of 
beautiful small moments you know happening throughout the park kind of unrelated to any like major event or occurrence just kind of you know people using the park to use the park yeah i do wonder like if uh wiseman really gives himself credit for that privately of like you know he finishes like finding this scene and these these matching tempos and puts it up and then he's just like i gotta go smoke (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i mean you gotta imagine too like maybe something like that that's a bit more like technically oriented gives him a, a break to just kind of switch modes and be like, ah, you know, I just want to work on this thing for a oh, couple shit. days, you know, not yeah. worry about like this long ass meeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just, just kind of play around with some sounds. Um, for sure. but yeah, the, the O'Brien piece was really good. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I, what was the publication? Uh, open, open screen journal. Um, this was, yeah, titled Central Park and its provisions. Uh, the whole thing being about provision, you know, like, like what is the park actually providing the citizens of New York and also, you know, presumably tourists. Um, but this idea, I guess getting back into the city symphony of a little bit and, you know, I'm not a French speaker, but like Ville and Cité, you know, uh, the, the, the city and what actually transpires within it, you know, the park and what actually, uh, happens when people interact with it, you know, (laughs) um, and, and within that relationship, arises you know what it actually offers what it's providing the provisions of the park and you know talking he he had this um, thing running throughout it kind of seemed to be one of the central points but like when you think about public infrastructure often what its provisions are doesn't become so readily apparent until it fails you know until all of a sudden we're we're faced with the lack of the provision, you know, like right. some, something like a dam bursting or a power outage or something that are largely invisible yet essential to our daily lives. And it, it really reveals itself when it's pulled away. Like a, a, a crack in the snow globe. Sure. Yeah. Can't shake it too much. Um, <laughs> but, but um, so the, 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 the film is is able to show us that without ever reaching that breaking point right like like it's able to express the provisions without necessitating there being a lack in fact it's able to do it by showing you know i guess kind of like in real time what it's doing you know who it's doing it for and how it's doing it and all the things it's able to do which is like you know just kind of uh, a, a celebration again like of, of public infrastructure that you just don't see you know it's 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 true it's like it it's there until it isn't and then everyone complains about it but like you know let's take some time to step back and, and recognize what we have as we enjoy it yeah uh that i thought that that piece was very helpful in just like framing what all the film is doing with this idea of the park um and I mean, you covered most of it, but uh, highly recommend people that are really into Central Park to um, to seek that out, which it's available. Yeah, Google, Google it. Yeah, just bringing up questions about like, you know, being critical of, of about what the the park is making uh, available and how that, like you said earlier, is a reflection of the city around it as well. 
Um, just just one kind of thing he concludes on that that might be interesting to discuss is um, this quote here: "Is Central Park considered by Weissman's film and its subjects to be indicative of or exceptional to conventional and coercive polit- political structures?" Um, and I think you know, as it relates to his other films, it shows how those structures. Um, work similarly as we've seen in other films when they kind of have a stated uh like altruistic mm. purpose you know right right yeah that like are, do you mean like kind of going back to the uh ideology versus the practice yeah, stuff? well yeah is it is it is it showing uh is it i guess within the same mold of the Weissman project, you know, is it indicative of these political structures or is it saying, you know, as, as I think we would disagree with is, is, is this something outside of the structures that we've come to be familiar with through his work? Uh, uh, because it's, you know, a more of like a, a positive read. Yeah. 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 It's a good question. And I think about also like where he goes from here and, Think about something like Ex Libris, which I revisited. And um, it's funny because their posters are like yeah. almost uh, yeah, identical yeah. Uh, to the point where it has to be like on purpose. Yeah. Um, and uh, except one, the skyscrapers are the books. Um, and that being a place that has a very like. Uh, Public it, it benefit. Has, yeah. And also like a stated uh, like modus operandi. And uh, I mean, there's a lot uh, that that covers, but uh, when you just have like sort of a green space, it's it's a bit different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, well, I know, <laughs> I know. I think I think I just said it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know how to conclude that. But um, did you want to talk about the in, the Chinese documentary stuff? Sure. Why not? You're uh, you're talking about the square, or just more broadly, or a, a little bit more broadly, but also about the square. Um, I <laughs> I'm not gonna know how to pronounce these names very well, um, but uh, I think both of us read some of um, what was the what's the book called? It's uh, just independent Chinese documentary. Okay. Um, and it's talking about, uh, various, uh, Chinese documentarians that are independent, if you couldn't guess by the title, um, (laughs) but like in the nineties and, uh, particularly, uh, relevant to this conversation is, um, that one of the films made from, from that peer group is called the square, um, done by Zhang Wan and Jishuan Duan, um, and that is from 1994 and it's about uh, a day in the life of Tiananmen Square. Um, you know, also could be called a, a city symphony film. Um, but uh, this group of filmmakers uh, was very influenced by, by his perspective, by Wiseman's perspective and, and sort of his ability to be political uh, while filming sort of like the day-to-day behavior of places. And um, they're, why we mention it is because the square is is like known or was conceived as like a remake of Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because around this time, starting in 1991 and then in 1993, this international 
a festival called Yamagata International Doc Documentary Film Festival that started to show Wiseman's films. Mm -hmm. So they showed Model in 1991 and Zoo in 1993. Um, and I find it fascinating that that this group was particularly like fascinated by Zoo, um, <laughs> one that I can't wait to talk about. But uh, among this group was a filmmaker called Wu Wangwen. I'm sure I'm butchering that as well, but um, who uh, maybe we'll talk about when we talk about Belfast, Maine, but got to uh, stay with Wiseman, was offered um, a place in his house while he was editing Belfast, Maine, um, which is fascinating. Um, but, uh, but this group, so like I said, they were in, influenced by his perspective and his ability to be political, but also influenced by Wiseman's approach and how his approach facilitates access and how that access is able to be like political while also embedding, embedding that political perspective with, with, within film language so that they could be discreet. You know, they could mm -hmm. be uh, critical um, without like, you know, broadcasting that and, you know, being uh, banned or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, so you and I watched the square, um, any thoughts on the square are very hard to, uh, find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a fun one to, uh, find some, uh, package DVD file for, and then make a video file from that, you know, is clearly like a VHS transfer, uh, of, uh, yeah, this this kind of sparse black and white film. Um, just just step, stepping back for a sec, the the book "Independent Chinese Documentaries" by Luke Robinson um, have been enjoying it, and and the the Yamagata Film Festival thing is interesting uh, because it you know was an introduction uh, for these Chinese filmmakers to a lot of uh, Western practice, um, but it was it was uh, founded by Shinsuke Ogawa. Uh, who is a you know legendary documentary filmmaker in his own right, most known for the Sanrazuka series about um, the Narita Airport construction and all these eminent domain issues. Um, but the square, um, you know, I think I think the it's dealing so much with place memory, um, you know, in a way that Central Park you know, has a bit of like we, you know, that old conception of it being a dangerous place, but you know, the, the a lot of these filmmakers arose out of kind of the, you know, I don't know, youth democracy movement that, you know, culminated with the, the an event at Tiananmen Square. So they're, you know, trying to engage with that history without really addressing it and in fact mm -hmm. you know what what's more explicitly addressed is, is you know um, Mao and the Red Guard um, right so so and the like socialization and indoctrination like within just like day-to-day -day visits to the square yeah I mean there there are a couple, a couple scenes with people uh, who are, who I think are, are guards or some some sort of police authority you know kind of talking about that. Um, but it really is a bit of a day in the life, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing, looking at street vendors, people flying kites, you know, a lot of tourists, uh, you know, both Chinese and foreign. Mm -hmm. um, but this this kind of sight of uh, 
global significance uh that you know has this thing under the surface that cannot be spoken about and like how how cinematically can we reflect upon that um without you know coming at it head on which i think you know like you're talking about is the value of being introduced to weissman right yeah well and also like you can see like based on you know the 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 people that they're attracted to that make the edit um like these media reporters Mm -hmm. it's like oh you you just watched model and zoo (laughs) i see (laughs) like yeah yeah uh, no and it's so many tourists too with cameras out you know like like the way uh they document mediation yeah that's like pure fred yeah for sure yeah it's it's uh very like yeah straight out of maneuver or something too i don't know if they had seen that but but yeah um it was just nice to see like i i'm sure a lot of of what's going on was lost on me but it was like really cool to see um another piece of nonfiction that uh just it's not even about like oh i have the same perspective as fred it's just like oh it's the same mode it's the it's the Mm -hmm. same like tacit understanding and ability to let the viewer like uh think about what they're seeing Mm mm-hmm yeah and it, it's interesting too reading the book and, and watching some of these films and i guess you know we owe some credit to our, our last guest nick Rapold for just kind of lighting this fire under us i mean i always knew about this connection but but it it's it is really explicit when you you start to dig in more but like it's such an exciting uh like area of filmmaking to investigate in in a similar way as like the birth of verite and direct cinema in the u.s is uh because there was this um exposure in the 80s with like international co-productions and like uh chinese television producers that would go on to be these independent filmmakers of like different modes of documentary filmmaking and different technologies and different ways of telling these stories that like there's just this like relatively concentrated like rich creative explosion of of filmmaking here right um and i guess uh you you mentioned uh wu wang wang uh who who kind of kicked it off in a way with bumming in beijing that seems to be kind of like one of the <laughs> the uh i don't know you call it the primary of china it's like the you know? of yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 but like um so so it, it's just really gratifying to see you know just another culture kind of discover and and refine and and make this language particular to their own contexts you know yeah i'm excited to watch more yeah um what what uh you know obviously there's wang bing who we've we've talked about here before um but yeah bumming in beijing uh was very interesting um in in kind of being a bridge i guess between these more traditional modes and and a new uh sort of direct cinema mode um because it it features a lot of interviews um but it also has these kind of unscripted moments and and i guess i i forget the word um or the the concept the chinese word um for what it is but but there's this concept of liveness i think 
like like or 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 just on the sceneness something like that like verite kind of well just just yeah that this this idea that you know is is very important to verite but but completely unscripted you know the the history of chinese documentary was the images uh were only in the film so much as to illustrate what was being what was scripted and spoken and being communicated uh oh, okay. uh but this this flips that primacy and and gives it to like the unscripted on the scene moments uh which huh. which was new um and uh one film uh that is available on youtube uh that people could check out is, is paper airplanes uh, which was a bit later, I think, I think late nineties. Um, but in a DV shot on DV looking at, um, uh, heroin addicts in Beijing at the time. And so this, the, the interesting thing also about this period is it's like a post-socialist transition, you know, uh, and that kind of really comes to a head in, in West of the Tracks, you know, this, uh, how the, um, adoption of all these like, more capitalist uh economic ideas and ideas of production you know is the ruination of all these individuals and communities um and that you know in the urban centers is evidenced by by drug addiction um but there's a bit more in that film um paper airplanes you know uh, some really interesting uh ideas about like the whether the filmmaker is going to be present or not, their their level of uh, involvement in the film. So check that out. I'm I'm getting a, a way off here, but but it it is it's you know someone asked us. Um, I remember in an email a long time ago. You know, I'm really enjoying getting into Weissman. Like, what other kind of areas of cinema offer like you know opportunities for such rich investigation? And I think I think exploring um this era of independent chinese documentaries is, is doing that for me certainly cool well do you have <laughs> other things on central park you want to talk about um well uh just i guess briefly we can kind of uh dismiss that uh frederick weissman's modernist vision uh piece and literature oh, film yeah. film quarterly uh by, uh by richard schwartz which was kind of just uh repackaging a lot of the things you and i have talked about on here and a lot of other people have talked about in in just slightly different language um you know modernism versus realism the idea of like you know weissman's infusing of his own perspective into the material versus like you know the realistic approach of depicting you know uh reality i don't know um some of it yeah. felt a little bit like when like if you're like a, a teacher and you get a paper that they just didn't know what was going on so they just like make up a thesis or something and just yeah, like yeah. keep going and you're just like what all right yeah all right. He, he's really hung up on this idea of lay motifs um which you know could just call that themes or whatever but i mean repetition it's film quarterly yeah. <laughs> um but yeah you know re relative to uh the o'brien piece wasn't wasn't vibing really with that and i'm i'm excited to read barry keith grant's uh writing on it when he comes Absolutely, up because yeah. he does talk a little bit about it at the end of voyages of discovery so he clearly has a lot mm -hmm. to say about it. yeah i think it, it had just come out 
when the book was published and he i think the thing he says is it's a depiction of like a hyper real construction right uh-huh. uh which you know i think in the in the interview portion we talk a lot about like simulacra and and doubles and construction and stuff so yeah. I'll save that for that um but i you know the reason we're recording this so much later than that is because we postponed it uh to so i could have an opportunity to visit oh, the yeah. pacific film archive um because they had a secret listenable only on site recording of Weissman doing a Q&A uh, for a screening of Central Park in 2005 that was actually a last minute replacement for what was supposed to be an advanced screening of The Garden. Um, this was a- <laughs> uh, after it had been pulled from Sundance and Berlin. Um, but so, you know, we had to, we had to get that. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so up top, you know, of course I've, some thanks. I have to thank uh, archivist Miriam Campos Quinn for even bringing this to my attention. Our previous guest, Jeff Griffith Pardum, Perham, sorry, um, and uh, PFA publicist AJ Fox, who uh, both visited me while I was recording. Uh, we talked shop a little bit, uh, as well as film research specialist Jason Sanders, who uh, gave me a little tour and set me up at, at the listening station, uh, showing me some of the cool stuff they have at the archive. Uh, there was a shooting script for La Dolce Vita he showed me, um, and uh, a ton of uh, resources they've digitized. Um, but yeah, so so this was, you know, a Q&A, a recording of a Q&A, and, you know, it, it gives you a little insight into what these must be for Weissman, which is... <laughs> probably a little painful because you know as you and i encounter in interviews people ask him the same shit all the time he gives the same answers all the time so there there was a lot of that uh here you know just you know do you how do you get permission to film how do you get consent from people well, you know like what do you yeah go ahead. and i can and i get it because like like when you and i are are interviewing him like for the show like we don't have an audience in front of us that just watched the movie or is just about to, that might not know very much about him. Like we don't have to do that or like some publications have to do that. And, and Q and A is like, you know, like I I get like, if you want people to understand, I mean, I'm, I'm, there are probably other ways to go about it. Like introducing the film, like before the Q and A or before the the showing and say like, this is sort of the mode and, and whatever. But, um, but I also understand, like, if you're asking him these questions, because you have an audience that doesn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, can't can't it, it it's only natural, you know, I yeah, think. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think and probably, you know, we can roll our eyes at it just because we've we've seen it and heard it so many times. Um, but like, yeah, you, you you see a film that has so many people in it as this one does you know and cast such a wide net those questions are going to be natural i think but you know there were plenty of nuggets you know i think i think maybe when he knows that you know this isn't necessarily for public consumption just the people in the room he he could be a little more open about certain things uh or or than he normally wants to what are you thinking of um talking about i guess just his 
practice as, as it relates to documentary filmmaking generally and um, his process, you know, he, he's, he'll say something, you know, he doesn't think there's any one way to make a doc. You know, he, he references Errol Morris and Ophuls as people who do very different kinds of docs that he loves, but, you know, this is just how he likes to do it. Um, but he, he gives a bit more detail uh, in terms of, like, structure and editing that, uh, you know, I think he talks about a lot, but but how he will edit basically every sequence individually already and then comes to start structuring and trial and error, placing things next to each other, splicing, you know, the tail off of here or the beginning of this scene there. Um, and, you know, we know that he discovers, you know, he, he, he talked a lot in this, uh, Q and a about like the concept of editing as, as writing basically, you know, mm-hmm. and, and flipping the mold of, you know, Coppola and narrative filmmaking, but like, you know, you don't have a script, uh, the writing of the film is in the editing. Um, but thinking about, you know, we, he's often very obtuse when people are asking about meanings of films, but he, he says something really interesting as it relates to the structure that, that I was just talking about there. Um, okay. The, one of the ways I know when an edit, when the editing is over is when I try to go through the structure that I've worked out and I have to be able to put in words why I think each shot is there, what its relationship to is to the shot before and after, the connection to the first 10 minutes of the film to the last 10 minutes of the film, how the middle of the film is linked to the beginning and end, etc. I have to be able to express to myself what the relationships are that first exist between the various sequences. So like, like just, just, I don't know if he's ever put in those terms that he's like actually talking to himself. He has this internal dialogue, right? That, that things have to make sense in a way that is expressed, but (laughs) that expression is the ultimately the film, but he never tells us what, what put into words means, right? Like he's the only guy who knows that, but, but the, just the thought that, you know, there is a specific key that exists uh but he's the only one who knows it and he won't give it up i thought was was kind of interesting yeah i i really hope that all his notebooks are like preserved um because i know he's talked about that before of just like actually having like notebooks where he's Mm -hmm. like writing this stuff out and i wonder how they how they write or how they read um yeah it 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 goes back to this like idea of like why he, why a lot of people, uh, as Rupold said in our last episode, like consider him like the best editor, like in the world or whatever, um, qualifier you want to give it. It's like, he has so many thoughts and ideas about how to do it. And it's like nice to see some of it come out because it's just otherwise so closed off about it. Yeah. And, um, uh, but also it's like, I think you're doing this so much, like you're obsessed with this. Like you must have a lot of feelings about what you're doing. And it, like, maybe, maybe, maybe when he sits down with Errol Morris at dinner or something, yeah. they, you know, gab about a talk shop right? Um, in ways that I'm sure are fascinating. And, um, but you know, that makes the films rich is that we don't, 
don't you know we don't always know what he's thinking or what he's doing and being able to like see stuff like the dougie fresh uh, get fresh crew scene and and think about like him putting it together is is like part of what's special about it yeah i mean i I guess it's just a different way like when we did the interview with him and you know we'll we'll go long on you know something we notice and he'll just say like and that's why the shots in the film you know (laughs) like like we 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 happened upon some of those notebooks like there there was the communication through the film right like it yeah, it was yeah. successful um yeah so, something else he talked about uh people kept asking him about Jonas Mikas uh because uh he's a filmmaker who loves central park also um he he said he agrees with Mikas he loves central park so <laughs> i i guess that's that's a a bit of uh insight into the film as well just you know they're they're that this is a celebration uh not a mm-hmm. not a critique um but that that got me to thinking it's like yeah, he also loves at berkeley like, <laughs> like yeah yeah um but yeah the he he was asking uh this this came up about the archive uh mika's anthology film archive um but weissman said all of uh, at this point, all of his uh, archive was at the Library of Congress, all the positives and negatives and unused footage. And it's like, God damn, you know, if, if we could ever get into all that. I mean, how many uh, alternate films could be made from all that unused footage? <laughs> like, that would be incredible just to see like an entire sequence, you know, or a meeting that Fred and Davey shot oh, that, sure. that we've never seen. Like, uh, I would I would. Dimes, and understand yeah. the com- the compression uh uh-huh. more. oh for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um what and then you know this is just kind of a uh, interesting piece uh he said that um somebody asked him if if people ever reach out to him who had been in the films he said a, a daughter recently wrote a letter to him of of someone who was featured in uh welfare um asking uh for a piece of film with him in it and and he he cut it out and sent it back to her oh man yeah that's cool yeah, isn't that sweet huh. um but yeah i mean you know the the thing there there was very little discussion about the film central park and more so about process how do you shoot how do you edit you know the typical typical kind of stuff we we see you know when and we've talked about before when when people interview weissman they want to know about yeah yeah for sure well i'm glad that you had a chance to do that yeah it was it was great thank thanks again to pacific film archive for the invitation and and setting me up um but yeah i mean central park good movie yeah and uh up next is our interview with Alex, and then we get to talk about um, a couple great films in the next episodes. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to those. I mean, I think I think uh, when we talked with Alex, I called this like the Leisure Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, I was thinking, reflecting back on it before we were recording, you know, Cent- Central Park has a zoo in it. We don't see it. You know, I I, w- yeah. I wonder if he already had that idea in mind and and decided not oh. to film there. Not to, I'm going to save this for the full zoo right, film, right. you know, or or maybe he yeah. he did some filming at the zoo and started to cut with it. He's like, there's a whole film here, you know, like like I'm just going to 
save it for that. And also, sure. also there are two uh, major museums in Central Park that we never see as well. And you know, maybe it was a similar thing. It's like I, you know, I'm just going to do a full museum film later on. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, in 15 years, yeah. or 25 years, <laughs> I'm going to get to that. Yeah, but but I mean, you know, I think uh, um, the Evan Kinley and not coming noted there seemed to be a preference for the west side of the park over the east side yeah. of the park. But I mean, you know, it, it is such an immense expanse of like geography that, you know, you can't be all encompassing, but it, it, it is interesting to think about why he focuses on stuff and includes it. Uh, one, one thing we haven't talked, I don't think we talked about in the interview. I just want a, a scene um, that I loved was the turtle rescue. <laughs> um forgot about that right yeah it's such a small thing but like just kind of gets at the just wide array of activities uh that that happen in the space um and it's it's shot from up on high like down below there's like this turtle on a rock and all these Mm -hmm. these guys trying to, to save it um, and it comes not too soon after the dinosaur thing, uh, where Davy was shooting way from down low, way up high at this balloon pterodactyl floating off in the distance. You know, again, like this idea of, of mirroring, of artificiality uh, between uh, repti- different reptiles in this case. <laughs> um, but but you know that that's something we'll talk about later. But but I I, I really enjoyed that scene, and I just wanted to call it out because I don't think we talked about it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, enjoy our talk with Alex and you can email us at uh, wisemanpodcast at gmail. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, uh, we've never done this before, um, but I think if you're still listening to the first segment at this point, you're probably like pretty down with the show. But like, you know, if you have have some time, just get, shoot us a rating and review on iTunes. Why not? That'd be sure. nice. Would would lo- sure would, would love. <laughs> yeah, if you've made it to here. Yeah, if you made it to here, you're you've got to be down. So, uh, do that. <laughs> Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with Alex Sherman, film production professor and cinematographer living in Chicago. How's it going, Alex? It's going just fine. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that uh, uh, we can have you. I know that we had talked a long time ago when we were first starting this podcast and uh, about Wiseman and... and um, and you were really into Central Park, and I'm glad that we could we could make it happen. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I have to admit, um, when you when you messaged me like two weeks ago just to check in, um, I immediately you know said yes, I'm still in, and I joked about 
you know, expecting <laughs> you to find another guest um, that was maybe, you know, from New York or, or uh, I don't know, someone that was yeah. alive in the 80s. But um, Well, Alex Ross Perry did drop out like <laughs> last week. So Hey, fair enough. I'm happy to play second fiddle. But anyways, um, as soon as I said yes, I like had this moment where I was like, what am I doing? They've they've had all these great <laughs> guests. They interviewed Wiseman. What the hell am I going to, you know, add that Miriam Bale didn't already say or Robert Green? <laughs> but um, no, uh, our mutual friend, Eric Marsh, talked me down. I met with him in the garage. We we smoked and, and he was he just gave me a talking to. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was good. I have to give him credit because he kind of like he opened up a lot of my thoughts that I have to share today. And I'm sure other things we were already going to talk about, but he was like, he was like, just, you know, he knows that I love symbiopsychotaxoplasm. And I know you do too, (laughs) Arlen. Um, And he was like, just focus on, you know, your wheelhouse, Uh, you know, Greaves is jazz and, and Wiseman is, and he like almost randomly pulled, just like pulled out an equivalent and said, Wiseman is quilting. And in that moment, I was like, I gasped, and I said, the quilt, the AIDS quilt. And so I immediately felt confident and comfortable, and I'm ready to talk about quilting today. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're excited. There's there's a, no, no imposter syndrome on Weissman Podcasts. <laughs> no, and, that's just me. And I just watched Symbiopsychotaxoplasm uh, for the first time this week. And it was one that, you know, had been on my shelf for a while and uh, used this opportunity to get to it. So... I, I I hope that you guys talk about it as well because I want to hear uh, f- that perspective. Yeah. Um, but so, what was your intro- introduction to Wiseman? How did you get into him? Um, it was 2015. I had to look this up. Um, and uh, I have I have to thank uh, the great Cat and Ben Sachs for um, programming a series of. Wiseman's movies at Doc Films. Um, I I didn't get to all of them, but my buddy Ryan, who who co-hosts on the Gauntlet, um, he he dragged me to Law and Order, and mm. and I at this time I didn't um, I I hadn't had like an extensive deep dive into documentary history. I wasn't really up to date on I wasn't really aware of direct cinema as a movement I had seen a couple mazels um but I kind of just went in cold um and and I, I I seeing law and order I realized I was seeing something different mm-hmm. um and something that was refreshing and something that really um uh, kind of took me by surprise but then I I remember so vividly Ryan turned to me as soon as the lights went up and he said you ready for next week three hours in a welfare office and I I like I groaned um and you know little did I know that a week later I would come back and just be totally mesmerized and have my life changed Uh, and I think a lot of people cite that movie and and it just uh welfare was the one that that blew my mind um and, yeah. and, and we can talk about why, or I'm sure you you definitely already covered it. But um, in the same series, I saw The Store and Aspen. 
And with that, I I was just kind of... And these are all on like 16. Yeah, yeah. These were all projected on 16 in a theater. So I was really fortunate to have that experience as my first experience. Um, And then as, as quickly as I could, I got any copy at odd obsession or or from friends online whatever um to fill in as many gaps as i could and and uh, with eric a lot but especially with ryan we we kind of devoured most of his movies in the year after that um still haven't seen all of them but um it's uh like many of your guests i i I think it's he's just the best i think this is like (laughs) This is, um, I don't know, without trying to grasp for qualifiers, this is just something that that really invigorates me. Um, this whole project that that he's he's blessed us with for the last <laughs> fifty years um, is is to me so exciting every time. Yeah. Even revisiting, like rewatching Central Park. Um, it just made me so happy. And, you know, not all of his movies <laughs> yeah, are necessarily totally. designed to do yeah. that. But this one, I think, definitely um, has a lot of joy in it. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I was kind of thinking about similar things this morning um, because I just put on, like, Ex Libris. Like, I was like, um, I think I'm going to watch Ex Libris, which was, like, one of the first ones I ever saw. Like, it was, like, right, like not long after that came out. And I was like, yeah, I'll start with this. I've heard great things. Uh, after seeing like follies or whatever but um and I, I i just ended up watching like the first 10 minutes or something because i was like i'm i'm not gonna have time to really sit down and do this but like coming back to that well first of all like once you've gone through the majority of them which is exciting itself then then you get to like go back through them and revisit all these ones like it takes a long time and so like the excitement really endures and and there are different iterations um and we can talk about that with with uh today's film as well how how uh excitement is is um is conjured at least for me but um just watching the first like 10 minutes of ex libris again uh after having seen like most of his work it was just like oh my god like i had no idea what was going on like in these like first yeah. three scenes like other than like you're like it's fascinating on its own but I'm just like, oh yeah, there's like, it's so dense and interesting. And like, you have like Richard Dawkins talking about like, you know, creationists and, um, and having like seen all of these films, including today's that deal with like how big religion is and like how he's bouncing off of that. Um, and then there's just like comedy in there too. That's just like, um, it is really exciting. Like as a, as a project to really dig in, um, in a in a very uh, unusual way for for um, for filmmakers like filmographies, but um, I did want to ask like what was it about welfare since you um, uh, said that that was the one that really caught on to you? It, was there something specific, or is it I just mean, like the characters? Yeah, I mean it was um, the commitment of it, the endurance of it. Um, I I had just never seen anything like it. Um, it was at a time for me personally where I was, I I was in grad school. I was really kind of disillusioned with a lot of, uh, my own studies and even my own work that was at the time almost exclusively fictional stuff. Um, 
and and so it just it kind of hit me um that not only was there this uh, new way of approaching nonfiction that that I had yet to experience or at least on that level um but that a lot of the the kind of standard uh, staple techniques that that I am aware of as a, a, a fictional filmmaker uh, you could use within that context and he was using to great effect um, and so I was so fascinated to learn about his process and how he was able to make these movies um, but I don't know I mean there's just so much magic in in welfare like I was re-listening to your interview with him and and he talks a lot about fortune and luck and how there's so much of, of his career is as skilled and intelligent as he is, is so reliant on him happening to capture these, these moments, these gems, um, and welfare is filled with so many of them. Um, I'm, I'm haunted by so many of those images, uh, the, the veteran and the, and the security guy in line, um, (laughs) uh, Godot speech, of course. Um, I the I mean, at the end of his speech, when he says, uh, when he's talking about his research, and he says it was in a red <laughs> folder. I, I that that line, a red <laughs> folder. It just it cycles in my brain. Yeah, yeah. always. Um, and there is the there is that fortune and luck, but also it's like he opens himself up to be lucky, right? By like yeah. just being. Um, not only patient, but like uh, it, he he's curious and not like his films aren't deterministic. Um, they're they're open to his subjects, and that just gives you space to be lucky. Right. I mean, he's he always talks about how he doesn't even decide what the film's necessarily about until he watches the dailies, and he's he's like insistent on that that point. Um, and yet, there's and and that's why I think to me. Central Park um, was like a Rosetta Stone for me when I saw it. It really mm. revealed a lot of his his machinations that I had like thought about and theorized about, but didn't really feel like he was explicitly um, confirming until that movie. Um, and I think I think in Central Park he lays a lot of his his technique out there and and mm. makes it like. It makes it text almost um i think it's a really self reflexive film um but no that's interesting um we talk a lot about it, like self reflexivity and i guess i hadn't really thought about it with um central park but uh even on a technical standpoint um which i was going to ask you about since you teach film production um I found myself uh, with Central Park, like finding this as like um, in a lot of ways, the starting of like a new chapter. And part of that is like the way that he's using sound and like layering sound is like so cool. (laughs) Like it's one of those things you tap into it, like when you watch a lot of them and you're like and once you know, like more about his technique. And it's not only like the use of like found sound as, as score or like faking diegetic background music, but also stuff like. Um, Arlo and I were talking yesterday about like this, 
that pounding sound used used over like the beginning of the peace rally conf confrontation. But I think we should talk in three as a three party. I never thought this would happen where I live in this country. <laughs> this is Russia. <laughs> this is America. <laughs> Where are the people for freedom in this country? They're closed down. They're closing these people down. I know. There must be something that we can do. They don't have proper permits. But when did this happen in America? And it's like it's like a Hans Zimmer like Christopher Nolan score. It's just sure. like. It just like ratcheting up the tension. <laughs> yeah, this is there's a lot of expressive stuff in this movie. It's very poetic. Uh, in my notes going through it th this last time, I kept coming back to like Terrence Malick um, and hmm. and uh, some other some other poets like that who um, I don't know. I, I I think it is unique in his body of work to that regard. Um, to the extent that it's almost the entire film that it seems to be like more of the film yeah. mm -hmm. than than is maybe like the dialogue scenes, the meeting scenes, the the content. Um, yeah, like what is the pterodon floating? Like what does that right, mean? That, right, that means something. Oh yeah, well, and I mean it's tied into all this. As the uh, I didn't get to read both pieces, but I read the film quarterly piece you sent. Um, and I love how it refers to the lay motif of garbage. Uh, and it's so true. And, you know, you see this pterodactyl rising up and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful visual, uh, rich image. But also, like, who's going to clean that up? Like, where's that going to land? Is that going to hit an airplane? Um, uh, doesn't somebody say that during it? It's like, I wonder where that one will land. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just watch it float up a little more and the, the speaker guy's like, okay, that's it. You know, like... <laughs> get out of here um but yeah i mean we're, we're we're getting into it i mean i think i think this film is is so rich and has so much that's like representative of weissman on the whole while also like being pretty idiosyncratic among his body of work and like but it, it does feel like it touches on everything so it's it's kind of hard to find like a starting point into this discussion you know we're 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 getting there but like like you know we could take we could take sound we could take self rec reflexivity i mean you know this is this is another instance maybe like model a bit where uh -huh. you know he's always finding the people with cameras around him as much as he can whether it's amateurs out in the park uh or you know the reading rainbow scene <laughs> the or the photographer <laughs> or the uh, the the coppola shooting new yeah, york yeah, stories yeah. you know like yeah like I'd, I'm really curious, like what that conversation was like, you know, like know. being being on set. Um, I wonder if we could get some info on that. But like, know. you know, when, whenever Weissman sees someone else filming, I feel like it he, he perks up, and mm -hmm. and we're meant to perk up too, and because it's it's inherently, um, uh, like like calling attention to the artifice of the film, right? Which in this in Central Park, the film is very like key to the thematic uh, elements of what Weissman's expressing about the park in terms of like the constructed nature of, mm -hmm. of this like natural artifice, right? Like right. it's something where we're always sort of reckoning with is like how, 
um, you know, all these purposeful decisions that have accumulated, you know, over like a century, um, have formed the park to be what we see it to be and are continuing like this, like push and pull of like what it is, what it isn't, what it should be, what it shouldn't be. Right. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, the, the city is like, take paradise and put up a parking lot and then, uh, let's pave up let's t- take that parking lot back a little bit put some yeah. paradise back in but then like let's put some parking lot back in the paradise you know and like back like there's the scene you know what i think the main kind of if there is a, a main character in the film is is betsy uh yeah is that it? From, the, i think so yeah like the conservancy yeah the yeah. the leader of the conservancy um and like uh we the first time we see her she's on the phone in like an office but there's there's this great scene where she's hosting this kind of luncheon of like fancy ladies uh up on the great hill on the north side of the park was that the perimeter association no this was this was before that this was outside where she's talking yeah she's talking about like you would not have liked to have come here five years ago it was a little bit sinister feeling it didn't feel comfortable now it's safe it's comfortable and it's a wonderful place to come so i hope you'll come back i come here sometimes with my family for picnics and i hope that that some of you will also think of coming back very soon um you know literally talking about paving up the asphalt and like replanning you know restoring meadow um and like you know this is well into an era where the i'm sure people consider the park to be like relatively set you know it is what it is this is the park it's always been you know that's central park but it's it's like that that concept throughout is is um at the the film is is showing that to be a fallacy yeah the, there's so much about aesthetics and what what is the proper aesthetic of the park um and like you said a lot of con- like all this construction and he's doing all of this deconstruction of the construction um and also showing how it's legitimately like deconstructed every day from all this thing this stuff um there's a lot going on but i wanted to kind of talk before uh getting into nitty-gritty of just like the structure of this because as you were talking about alex like it's um like the 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 poetic nature of it is sort of like the text uh is sort of the guiding structure and um it's funny um it has this like carol carousel like structure which is you know mm-hmm. the carousel is one of the last shots of the film uh and the sound is, is like going over the end of it um but you mentioned uh arlen in your in your uh letterbox log about like spinning a wheel and just enjoying whatever it lands on yeah um which isn't to say like there there's a haphazardness in the editing because there isn't but the calculated structure has this like leisurely quality to it while also resembling that bill nichols uh chestnut of of the uh mosaic structure um which i think we've talked about doesn't always fit uh all of his films Mm -hmm. something like maneuver is not mosaic um but this has just this natural openness to it i i when when i think about and because uh that term is is all over the piece you sent um about central park as a as a modernist film um and along the lines of referring to it as quilting, I think what it comes down to is the idea that he's he's got these individual, you know, pieces that he's not um, 
you know necessarily the author of he's he's recording these these mm-hmm. things that are outside of his direct control other than where his cinematographer is pointing the camera and where he points the mic um but then his design and and the overall effect of the film comes from how he's stitching them together and how he's placing these pieces together and in a very specific order um and 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 so in terms of central park um, I think it's a couple things because, like, what we're talking about is that I, I, I didn't do the math, but if we kind of broke down the transitional material, like the material mm-hmm. where we're just looking at action, things happening, even, the moon. you know, yeah, the moon or, or the lawn and people tai laying chi. or people walking, a guy in a tie doing Tai yeah, Chi. I love it. Like, yeah. the, uh, that would, I would imagine, constitute a vast majority of the film. Hmm. Um, and not that it's random, because there he does, like, weave narrative into some of these, into a lot mm-hmm. of these sequences. Um, but I also think that part of the joy we were talking about earlier is is coming from this being an opportunity for him and Davey to get outside. Like this is mm-hmm. they, this is yeah, right yeah, after yeah. they made it's near right death, after right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, think about what they were going through, what they had just been through. It feels and, it feels like they're like it feels like you're stepping out of a hospital and yeah. you're yeah. just like I'm just gonna go walk <laughs> yeah. for a minute. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's so striking here. The color too. I mean, yeah. coming from near death, yeah. but like, like for Weissman on the whole. I mean, you know, at this point, most of his filmography is still black and white. But even the ones that aren't, like, there is this kind of just they they all take place by and large in this like undefined room, you know, yeah. surrounded by walls, you know, s- with no windows and stuff and and it can you could get a sense of like something like kind of um like I don't know, like um uh no exity <laughs> about some of these settings, right? Like mm-hmm. but but here it's every there's green like always in the background, you know, it's a backdrop of green. You feel situated in a way that you rarely do in Weissman. And like to the extent where I think the first scene that's not like that is is the first time we meet Betsy when she's on the phone in the office. I mean, you know, as the architects say, God is in the details. And these uh, sodium, high pressure sodium, there's sulfuric yellow, harsh glow. They glare in people's eyes at night. Uh, it's uh, aesthetically gross. It turns the vegetation, uh, uh, you know, a muddy brown color because the, you know, it's all this warm spectrum of light. And the cool, even white lights of metal halide are far, far superior. It's like jarring. You're like, whoa! It's almost yeah. like an assault. You've been kind of luxuriating in nature, seeing birds and and just kind of hopping around from scene to scene, and all of a sudden you're like forced indoors and you're like get me the fuck out of here right yeah yeah, i mean yes and no i mean i I imagine a lot of wise you know i there's a certain gratification for any time well you you get in you get into the rhythm but like like initially that's it's a visual shock i think yes well yeah i kept in my head going um i i kept calling it uh, Sunday in the park with Fred. Um, there's just <laughs> something so, um, uh, I don't know. It seems like it's, uh, it, there's this freeing experience for both him and John Davy, who, mm-hmm. who gets to use lenses he hasn't been using. He gets to yeah. use really long lenses, shooting at much greater distances. Um, there and- was that great, um, like, 
bird's eye shot, one of the first shots we see with this like super wide lens that like yeah. kind of shows you the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it takes your yeah. breath away and it like, yeah. I, I don't recall any shots so wide since like canal mm-hmm. zone or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the shot, the shots of like the pink and blue sky are like so nice. I guarantee that, uh, just ha- having read some of Davy uh, in an interview is uh, I- I'm sure that he was not happy about having to go into these rooms and shoot meetings. For, yeah, for, right. For, for, yeah. Like, why don't we just stay in the park? <laughs> yeah, but then, like, you get that 75 minute uh, mark shot uh, at the table uh, height, and it's just like right in between a couple people in the corners of the table and they got their notes out and you're just like, all right, he found where the power is. We're going to, we're going to go into it. Sure. Yeah. Cause you know, not to discount the skill and technique that he brings to those kinds of scenes. Uh, oh, yeah. there, I, from my perspective as a cinematographer, it's way easier to film a park than it is to film mm. a meeting with 10 people with one camera. Um, yeah. Or the so, or the hospital room stuff in near death, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, and in terms of that, there was so much repetition that you know, I'm sure they got it down. They're like, all right, another one of these, um, and it was just a matter of you know where where the people were standing. Not um, too much variation uh, in the lighting, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't. I mean, uh, my friends and I joke that. Um, the most kind of haunting image in his whole career and his whole body of work is at the end of um, domestic violence when the 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 camera like goes into like an actual scene where where the police are arriving mm-hmm. um, at a home um, on a responding to a, a domestic violence call and there's a huge spotlight coming from the direction of the camera. And it's just, it's creating this this haunting contrast between the really bright light and the really dark shadow um, that, I mean, you don't really see that even in Law and Order. Um, and it gets really expressive. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, to, to come back to Central Park, I, like when I, when I think of the poetry of it, um, like you were talking about earlier, Sean, in terms of like, revisiting one of his movies and seeing something at the beginning that there's no way you caught the first time around. Um, I was, you know, going into it thinking mosaic, thinking, uh, thinking quilting. And then one of these first moments of action before there's, there's really any dialogue or characters is one of these, one of the bridges under repair and there's like a scaffold outside yeah. of it and then you go under the bridge and it's very dark and there's a guy laying down brick and he's just like slapping <laughs> cement onto the brick and he's laying it down upside down so it's like this precarious gravity defying procedure and i was like mosaic it's right That's there it. totally. one yeah. one brick at a time and then there's another moment later on where like there's another guy it's like a laying, path yeah. yeah the cobblestones yeah, and again yeah they're you know wiseman's getting it you know he's he's teaching you how to watch the movie yeah exactly and he's like literally like 
echoing Weissman's process where he's like he he has a stone you know it's like not fitting on this side he just like hammers off an edge of it you know (laughs) to make it fit fit in place a little better you know and and you know that that goes into the structure you guys were talking about as does uh like Sean you're talking about just some of the stuff that goes on with sound you know this this uh great sort of montage where there's just changing radio stations in the background mm-hmm. and you're just kind of getting like little bits of the sounds of the summer you know like like that's what's happening throughout the film we're just kind of hopping from station yeah. to station you could say you know like and and kind of finding you know discerning what the relations uh, between them may be um but um just sort of one thing i wanted to touch on back on the, the self-reflexivity thing is something you know i really enjoyed at model and and for me this was like kind of a a viewing experience for me akin to model where like my notes on this went super long you know like i was just like noticing and noticing um all over the place but like the in in model he he did a lot of callbacks to his previous films um you know most notably the the shot across the highway of metropolitan hospital um, in this film being the, the fifth, uh, that he would have shot in New York, um, at this point, um, he, he did callbacks to all those films that I, I, I kind of stretched, uh, for welfare a little, but we got two people in hospital beds watching, uh, the, the opera performance, uh, with Pavarotti in battle. We've got, uh, for welfare, the, the kind of sort of kicking out of the homeless people, oh, you know, sure. by the cops, you know, it's just sort of an institutional response to uh, poverty in New York. Um, a- again, going back to the garbage theme, you know, like, like the cleanup, they, Amazing they just kind scene. of, they just, they have a whole team there, right? It's the people to kick them out. It's the people to come in and take their stuff and throw it in a truck and haul it away. Yeah. And, but like in typical Wiseman, like comedic deadpan, just these two guys with an empty bed truck just <laughs> yeah, throwing just, two pieces yeah. of, of a newspaper. It's like, what do you think is going to happen to that garbage as soon as you step on the gas? It's amazing. Right, and then, and then they're off, you know. I mean, I don't know if, like, they did anything else. But, I mean, the, the assumption I took away, at least, is, you know, now those two guys are just kind of standing in the park with a blanket. And, yeah. you know, they just, like, got their papers. <laughs> like, like, they're on oh, the you're, way. You're good, like, as long as you're standing. Yeah, 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 right. And then, and then, oh, the mod, there are a couple modeling scenes, a couple uh, photo shoots we see and, and horses throughout, uh, echoing racetrack, you know, uh, often, uh, mixed with law and order, uh, because they're, they're cops on top, you know, cops throughout, uh, Central Park also. So like, you know, um, we, I don't need to like speculate as to, as to what all that means, but I think it's another instance of calling attention to artifice, you know, sure. like, like bringing in, um, just kind of the human element into everything. And when, just when you're sort of feeling like, you know, this is a representational film, you know, this is like, I am in the park, which you could kind of slip into and because of the rhythm of, and the visuals, like, like he's like, no, you're watching my movie, you know, like I'm picking and choosing, you know, like, remember that, you know, and like, like that, the, uh, I know you guys saw it, but like, I called out the, the open, the first lines of dialogue in this film, like had me Mm -hmm. howling because it's, it's, uh, some EMT, like trying to rouse a guy who's like, 
OD'd or pass out or something. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, Look at me, come on, look at it. Come on, just, there you go, there you go. Just stay like that, stay like that. Look at me. Come on, open your eyes. Come on, you gotta open your eyes. Stay awake, come on. You know, and like, okay, I get it, Fred. You know, I'm, you're, but, you're but cueing me, paying attention. But yet he's not calling attention to it. Like, it's because you're, the first time you see that, it's easy to be like, interested in what's going on with the patient rather than being like what is the second meaning of what well he's saying? I, I was more interested in, in the guy next to him who's yeah. like who's like maybe his friend or something who's like kind of like trying like, to I think he's helping <laughs> but again uh, you know this is another theme is this idea of sort of doubling and like simulacra is like this this guy this other you know probably unhoused guy just sort of mirroring the emt's motions echoing his words to his friend you know and like we have things like like a mime later on doing something very similar you know and again just thinking about the park and its relationship to nature and the city's relationship to the park and the city's relationship to like a lack of nature, you know, and like the perimeter scene, we get someone saying like, it was just almost like Vermont, right? It was in some ways, I think it was better than Vermont. You know, (laughs) this is not Vermont. This is, this is central park. Yeah. In terms of all the callbacks. And I mean, you know, there are plenty of others. Like the, one of the early scenes in the film is watching um, this guy teach, uh, like theater oh, to, these, <laughs> to these kids. And um... in the beginning, in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, there was the word. There was the word. I know in the Bible they mean the word of God, but it's also the word. Think if you couldn't, if you didn't know language, if you couldn't express yourself, how awful that is. Can you imagine? You have the word. Thank God you have the word. So, let's use the word. Let's use the word. That's what will set you free. It's the word. Which I think is fascinating. Um, I think just generally, the first time I watched this, I was trying to figure everything out too much. And this time I was able to to just kind of like enjoy the stuff like that um, and just kind of watch the performance of it. But, um, uh, I, you know, he's talking about words and he's like, imagine not being Mm. able to speak or use your words to express yourself and all this stuff. And and I like that is, uh, you know, makes you think about the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind. Mm. Um, And I think that in terms of Arlen, you saying like, you don't know exactly what uh, all to do with this, but like besides calling to artifice, but I think also there is, and maybe this ties in what, uh, you were talking about Alex with like self-reflexivity, but um, th- him thinking about the ways that the park mirrors his larger project mm-hmm. um, of all of these different places that you can visit through his films and all of these different uh, expressions of America. Like the park is all about like different ways that Americans are expressing what you know their identity is and and what their collective identity is and um a lot of that is is to be found in in his films well and not only that but like the cycle that that creates where the the people become dependent on the place or the institution and then how that then affects the way the people function in that space yeah yeah um i I was i was thinking um while you were talking, Arlen, about uh, that that scene where they're kicking out the the uh, homeless people who are sleeping, um, 
and because I, I wrote down in my notes like uh, aphids metaphor, and because uh, there's this gardening scene, and um, and it's one of those things that like like we're talking about. There's like like so many like resonances throughout, and it's hard to know what to do with them because it's so it's you know it's a three hour movie that's like constantly moving, and um, which is one of the great things about this movie uh, is. Um, being able to be like, Ooh, I get to watch this again and find out like some, some new resonance. But, um, when you're watching the, the gardening scene, which, you know, it's not like he just shot it for 10 minutes, but he has a lot of different, like whatever 30 second clips that mm-hmm. he could pull of them gardening. But he picked one where they're talking about cleaning the aphids off and trying to get rid of them and they keep coming back. And it's one of those things where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, clearly like this, is tying to the way that they are treating or the way that they view their job um, with certain population in the park. Sure. Well, I think it's not only that. It's also about how that scene establishes a hierarchy, which is something he's constantly searching for. And you have someone who's telling someone else the problem and telling them to oh, fix sure. it. Yeah. Um, and, and like even the in one of the earlier landscaping sequences, you have uh people trimming the the hedges and mm. this woman is telling this guy how to do it and then he does it and and with some you know vague do it maybe, quicker it, yeah. yeah yeah no like do it slower, slower she's like slower. you're going too fast yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to you need to slow down just oh, a little bit slower just just look a little a little bit more careful and i don't know i you know i felt a bit of tension there um, yeah well there's in the one of my favorite scenes is this discussion about the mountain bikers that are yeah. like, you know, <laughs> ruining the park by cutting, yes. cutting across the lawn. But I mean, the, I think this is a re- real Rosetta Stone scene about yes. this idea about aphids and, and the homeless. Like, like one guy says, like, The process of informing people of the rules and what's expected of them is a timeless one. Mm-hmm. Like each generation has to be told. It looks like there's a different generation that comes up each year. Um, and I know it's something that's already been done, but it's got to be done and redone until people are aware of what's expected. That work of communicating to the public never ends. You know, there's no point in which everyone just yeah. knows and gets it, right? Like, because also because it's fluid and it's always changing, right? Yeah. Well, but it's it's the politician that says that. I, don't, I, I forget his name. It's somewhere. He's in the the tennis house meeting too but when the other guy's talking in that scene it, the like uh it seems like the guy who's in charge of solving this problem um the language he uses is so militant um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in terms of handling this problem what we need really to do is understand the problem you know how widespread how many spots is it if, if we've relocated or dislocated them from the ramble and strawberry fields is that great i mean is that something we should be proud of and just continue to hold those two areas and you get crazy it's like a waging a war and having your troops all over the place which we see fred and john uh davy they they catch some bikers you know that's in the film and we're like well why didn't you tell on them fred (laughs) you're the eyes and ears out there yeah 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 Yeah, and it's also funny that wiseman caught them but they can't (laughs) true yeah yeah but i mean i think i think it's it's again like a a central theme is like who is the park for and like who who decides who the park is for and it's you know uh i think indicative of how that like again the language that they're using at one point he says or someone says 
It's even husbands and wives. It's not all organized gangs. (laughs) And so, like, gangs of mountain bikers. Right. That connotation (laughs) that, that, like, it's not just, you know, the subtext is young people, people of color, whatever. It's. Well, also, saying that criminals can't get married? Come on. Bonnie and Clyde, like they work together. Well, I think sure there's not. a there's a subtext there too of like the park is so great and it's so valued uh, because of its like unique quality in the city, right? It, there's nowhere else the mountain bikers can go to like you know <laughs> ride up a hill and yeah. you know go off a rock or something. Like this is the only option, you know, unless something you're... you can do in Vermont. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But sure, it's all you know that it comes down to them negotiating over the spaces and being like, this space is for this group of people and this space is, is for that group of people. Um, and that becomes one of the, the the main themes of the film, I think. Which, I mean, you know, might as well talk about the peace rally and the t-shirt vendor, you know, like like this this very explicit negotiation of exactly what we're talking about here, like happening in real time. Who was this person that negotiated this thing? Put together the demonstration. When they applied for their permit, they were told what could and what could not be done in the park today. Is it one of the things that was said could not be done? Why? Because we don't allow vending in the park. That's it, sir. There is absolutely no vending in the park? None? We have legal vendors in the park. Why is this have a, a right legal to vending event? Because your organization didn't make it one today, sir. All right? And therefore, you're going to follow the letter of the law, and you're going to make sure that all of this is destroyed. What's being attempted today? It's a beautiful day. Of course it is. This is part of the color and the character of this event. Um, which is just, you know, there, there's the obvious irony, right, of, like, the peace organizers like starting this huge conflict about like merchandise um but again you know this this idea of of simulacra and like what is and what it's meant to stand for and like you know we are here for a peace rally uh what we are doing is t-shirt sales you know like and that is the whole of it and if you don't let us do that then we're not doing it's not a peace rally right somehow um but this idea that like like i mean it's just also just like a hilarious scene right of like just these people getting all bent out of sorts and like sobbing and like you know invoking nuremberg yeah and russia (laughs) like but like you know like it's impressive that like i could be watching this and be you know siding with the authorities who like really seem to be like pretty reasonable and like you know like if we let whoever wanted to sell shit in central park sell it like nobody would want to be here right like it wouldn't be the park anymore it would be like you know Times square or whatever yeah i mean again it's i think a matter of performance you know he's when, when he's focused on a scene deeply and there's an extensive scene that lasts for minutes it's usually centered on a person or a group of people who are are putting on a show of some sort um yeah. wh- whether it's consciously or or unconsciously um, well by the time by the time she says this is russia it's like, <laughs> yeah. and then a couple of minutes and later, get a hold of the like, mayor <laughs> yeah yeah it's i mean it's like so funny but also it's just like clearly yeah like the performance is what makes it um makes so much sense within this but yeah i'm and i'm sure we'll get to what i think is what is personally my favorite scene um i and i think it's like a a core of understanding his work um 
but uh, all throughout the tennis house meeting, there yes. the common refrain is like among other things, people are pe- these get people coming up and saying, "I want to express," and and that's you know the, what they want to express is is the focus, but that you know that point is really the 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 meat of it. They all just want to be heard. They want to talk. They're told over and over again, stop talking, just say you agree, but they can't help themselves. At the end, the woman who's like... If you wish to say something that has not yet been said in this argument, you wish to add something? More forcefully. Yeah, it is is like a a core... uh, it, It feels to me like... And and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Arlen, uh, especially like since we've been going through this, maybe we've talked about it, but it seems to me like the 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 genus of like this this Wiseman staple, wh- like which is uh, like 30, 45 minutes, depending on how long the movie is, before mm. the end of the movie, this like big piece of like civil discourse, mm. uh, usually in a meeting that's like heated, comes and and city like hall, this one for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the cannabis scene, of course. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. like, sometimes it's not always discourse, but, like, something about, uh, you know, like, public housing has something similar, which mm. is not confrontational, but it's about, like, um, rallying or, like, trying to make sense of um, trying to understand, like, what's going on um, in, in this very, like, communal, like, sort of, like, between four walls situation. Um, and this this one, like it's about the subject like tennis and and the class association with it is very important here. And, and it's also important to what the park is and who the park's for and, and all that. But it's, it's, these things are always more about Wiseman's interest in how a community expresses itself and mm. particularly how a community expresses itself over the differences of the, the hegemony involved and, and, and like, often between like an association with money and, and, and the people that um, see the fallout of it. But it's exactly what you guys are talking about. Like, I think more interesting to him than, than tennis is the fact that, or, or the way, the behavior um, that's on display here. Yeah, I, I think that's why it's so perfect is because like, uh, my perspective of it is every time I see one of these these scenes that that come at a a, a kind of climactic moment in his films, I say there's the tennis house scene because <laughs> there's always it's it's this moment where he's he's just making it all so didactic. It's it's not at all about what they're talking about. It's how they're talking, um, the words that they choose to use, and and what circumstances pit them against one another. Um, and it's, you know, it's everything that brings him back to like, to Beckett or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, any number of, yeah, right. It's, you know, the, this is the, the great American story. It's not, it's not, the point here is that like, it couldn't be more, more pointless. Like who cares about a tennis house? First of all, like it, it seems a pointless discussion because it seems like it's already a done deal. Like the money's coming in from private donors, the the commissioners on the side of getting rid of this thing. It seems like it's going to be voted to, to, you know, to go ahead and be rebuilt. Um, and it's also pointless because it's just a tennis house. Like who cares? 
yet all of these people care so deeply, so fundamentally, and they use right. such, like, yeah. uh, charged language. It's a dungeon. It's atrocious. <laughs> I it's, would catch a disease. Yeah, like, they are getting so worked up. Yeah. And then on the other hand, people are like, it's gentrification. We can't spend any money doing this. Well, um, I think I think, too, it comes pretty soon after the perimeter luncheon scene right mm-hmm. well these people who like very clearly like don't spend time in central no. park yet are trying to shape it to some degree and now here are people who are like very clearly like users of park services right and they're resisting kind of exactly what the perimeter association is talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. doing right like in this right. this this whole like within without and like you know the i guess the the conservancy sort of in the middle of like you know the people who use the park and the people who have the means to like financially provide for the park yeah it, there's a there's a review or not a review an an interview uh from 1988 that was like um uh in three penny opera and it's like right before you know central park was coming out and um while he's making it and he's asked uh, it's not the most substantial interview, but um, he's asked about like influences and, you know, he goes through the whole like Beckett Nionesco and like not really, you know, influenced by films um, as much. Um, and, but he talks about how uh, language and, and, you know, how it's influenced by those, those playwrights, but he talks about how the comedy or, or the tension in his films is the difference between the words and what's actually being done. How at times, the language runs counter to behavior and um you know that seems to go hand in hand with the type of deadpan influences he's mentioned over time but um but it it also doesn't mean that there's always like this these people are saying one thing and doing another um like some like political action uh, it's stuff like the tennis house or um uh the perimeter association um or like when I was watching Ex Libris this morning, like the the beginning, you have this library worker who's like talking on the phone with somebody about why they can't check out a book. And they're like, well, you're, you, you're at the limit. You have these books. And they're like, let me go through them. Uh, what is the meaning of life? Like, is that all there is? Yes. Between panic and desire. And it's like this very mundane thing of this woman at, at her desk, like going through this very like menial thing. But they're talking about these like, very serious texts you have you have like at all times like you have to listen not only to what's being said within the context of the scene but like within the context of weissman it's like almost as if weissman wrote a script you know and these are uh characters expressing his dialogue um obviously he's working backwards from that and taking actuality and reshaping it but like like there you know i mean there's layers to this shit right (laughs) like it's just like every single thing that's said you have to look for the literal meaning you know the metaphorical meaning the meaning in the context of the film and what it's expressing about what weissman's saying like right Yeah, I, the greatest screenwriters could never write these scripts. <laughs> you no, know, yeah. absolutely not. Yeah, yeah and I, so I think, you know, that scene in particular, but this movie really revealed to me how how funny he is, uh, how funny he can be, or at least the invitation to find humor in his films. I think it's... I think it's obvious here. It's too obvious. I found um, myself cracking up, like, really early, too. Like, like yeah. there's, there's that shot of just, like, 
business people walking in the same direction, like yes. in their morning commute, you know, yeah. and it's super deadpan and dry. But I was cackling. I don't even really fully understand why, but it just yeah. was like such like a striking humorous image. And then it, it kind of primes you, I think, that it's okay to sort of find that within this, you know, and I think over over the course of the film, that's reinforced, you know, to the point where, you know, you don't have to like wonder why you're laughing because things are just funny. But like, like, I think, uh, you know, again, this could be a thing coming off of near death that it's just like, you know, let's, let's bring things up a little. Let's, you know, in the words of the, yeah. the theater teacher guy. We can start again down here, but we're going, we're always going up. So we go down, but we're coming up, right? As we're going down, we're going up. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing but humor in that sequence. I, 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 I was a theater kid in high school. I, I did some, some minor Shakespeare studies. And so there's so much in, in that guy's pretension, in that guy's performance. Um, the way, the way he's so, especially in the second part when we yeah, come back yeah. to him and he's standing above the bench he uh -huh. he seems so self-conscious of the camera looking at him he's constantly like yeah. fixing his pants and, and <laughs> we don't even see the, the performer the actual performer right. yeah. like yeah. she starts the scene and she ends the scene but we're hearing her off screen reading her lines and it's all on the teacher yes and again do it delivering this performance uh i show that that scene that sequence to my students frequently because like <laughs> um again just as an explanation of like how you can weave or 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 create um a a a, a scene like this with only one camera with with mm. one perspective how you can kind of fabricate that um but then also how how you kind of like recognize tonal cues like that you know the first time you see this th there's this interplay and and this occurs in a lot of Wiseman scenes where you're, you have to ask yourself like okay this person takes themselves very seriously. Are they a serious person, or or is mm. there is there another shoe that's going to drop? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of tension there, and like waiting, you know, like mm -hmm. even even going back to welfare, the guy, the the Godot guy, for a very long time in that scene, he seems credible. He seems like there may be, you know, something right. to this guy. He may be this this genius who's been scorned or, you know, experienced the string of bad luck. Yeah. But then he says one thing and, and you realize, Oh, the, you know, that he's, he's, Yes, mentally he, Ill, there's, whatever. Yeah, there's an opportunity you know the camera presents an opportunity for performance it it draws them out and i mean i think you know weissman always says like um you know pe people act as they are you know they, they're not good enough actors to to fake it yeah. you know right like but and something in their performance is also interesting to him for sure how how Absolutely. they how they like consciously perform with a camera there and i mean i think i think you know, for somebody like this, I mean, I don't, I don't purport to know the guy, but like, you know, he's a theater school teacher. You you probably <laughs> can infer that he may at one point have wanted to be like a actor, actor, right? Yeah, like yeah. A, not a teacher, right? And like, here's the camera and the boom, like, you know, is his chance to be a star and like he delivers, man. Absolutely. <laughs> well, while you're talking about acting and, and, and uh, specifically, uh, being an actor and stuff. Um, <clears throat> I just want to mention the Coppola scene because uh, I, uh, you know, it was the first time I, I saw Central Park and uh, all of a sudden we see Francis Ford Coppola, my mind was just like, yeah. like, <laughs> what? <laughs> 
And Zoe, be very sincere and real with those lines about thank you and stuff. Guys, we must keep these lights clear. Jenny, why are you hitting Salim? Picture, here we go. Why'd you hit him? Nice to him. He's a prince. Before you get up, you have to say Zoe and like she gets up with you. All right, wait. Spread out that way. Push her. Wake up. Look forward, beep, beep. Look forward. Like and like, like I knew exactly what he was shooting, and you see like Victoria Storaro, and you're just like, wow, what a gold mine! Like this is so great, and and it's, and then I was so engrossed this time uh, that I forgot about it, and then it came, and I'm like, of course, and because it, it comes at the end, it comes like the very end, um, and uh, it's you know it goes to the self reflexivity that we talked about, where and stuff that we've talked about over time of him uh you know defining his art against hollywood uh once yes, again and definitely. and you know coppola is asking a child to be like serious and sincere and something that wiseman never has to do and the last line i think member picks this up uh but the last line we hear coppola is just complaining about a wasted day and <laughs> yeah. like, can't get anything and here wiseman is just like shooting all day well i i i watched new york stories before we recorded today i had uh, been on my list for a while but um the funny thing about it too is is it's um central park standing in for like some yeah. diplomat's house right like it's supposed to be a private residence but we're like in a tunnel in central park like for whatever reason like maybe you know coppola just felt like this was emblematic of new york i mean there are other scenes shot in and around the park as well in his sequence but like like this idea of projecting onto the park whatever you want it to be and yeah. like it it being able to do that for you i think is like really uh, poignant as well well and i wanted to bring this up when you were talking about like simulacra uh of like the central park is like a snow globe uh yeah, or yeah. like a bi a biosphere and the, like we we see ways that the park can be this blank slate or like an adaptable biosphere where where pe people can come and temporarily carve out a space to be what they want it to be we see this um with the university of south mississippi group and yeah. they're like they're trying to recreate Mississippi there because that's their collective identity. Um, and then we see, you know, the, the Confederate flag and then goes to a, a black man playing music and uh, very, and ultimately, you know, what is the approximation of Mississippi is like a hot air balloon and some fried chicken, yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like a blues guitarist. Like, uh, but, but we also see the gay pride parade, you know, yeah. people like carving out this space, to, to celebrate and express this othered sexuality. Um, but then you have Coppola's film and it's, he's fictionalizing this space. Like you're talking about, like actually playing make-believe uh, with this space. Um, it reminded me a lot of the garden, um, yeah. but like, you know, it, it's free of private venture uh, for the most mm. part. Um, or like the ways that we talked about canal zone or Sinai field mission as these bubbles where Americans, out of context, you know, adapt their space to be an expression of American culture. Um, I, I also was thinking about Snow Globe in a similar sense, I guess, slightly different, but with the Perimeter Association, where all they only want it as like this 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 piece of art. Yeah, on the yeah, wall. yeah. Like they, it's the window, and I love that the the Perimeter Association scenes are shot in these like dreary like hotel <laughs> yeah. room with the blinds so dark, drawn. Yeah. It's just like you're you're you don't want to see outside and like 
it's contrasted to like the natural light when he's shooting the park and it, it, it's just so funny yeah i mean i think um not only in the coppola scene uh, i mean especially in that sequence but then also earlier in the reading rainbow scene oh, man. um the, the way in which John Davy will like casually like film up at the equipment they have, like the big bounce boards or the crane yeah. on the Coppola shoot. Um, I, I, you know, I think there, I, I find it so humorous <laughs> just to see those shots because on one hand you think Davy's probably thinking, boy, I would love to have some tools and toys to work with. <laughs> and on the other hand, he and Fred know that all they need is each yeah, other yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the tools on their shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah. I wonder if, if he sees Storaro and he's just like, God, he's got a huge crew. Like, uh, well, the, you know, the he, the first reading Rainbow Part Two um, for me reminded me of of something that happens a couple films ahead in Zoo, where there's this like fake documentary being shot yes, of like a, a crocodile or something. But but that that reading Rainbow scene. Um, is interrupted by the director who yells cut because like they could yeah. see some cars in the background or something like they're trying to mm-hmm. approximate this natural so setting good. you know and and like some some reality intrudes in upon it right which is like the inverse of of the weissman davy project um, and it's it's like this is that that scene you could show that to a class uh just as well of like what is the performance of culture like uh you know, not in this like pejorative sense, but like culture is a, is a performance. Um, and here he is like cutting their performance for a yeah. TV show yeah. so that they can perform it better. Yeah, of it's, course. It's and naturally it's like this white guy who's like waving his arms and he's like, stop, <laughs> right. stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and then the performers are like, we're waiting for a truck or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. Um, they don't see the big deal in it, but absolutely. And of course he includes a moment like that. I mean, and and going back to the Coppola sequence, I also revisited the movie this last week and just my brain was melting thinking about Wiseman being in the space for that sequence. It's <laughs> I like was, I was looking this I was horribly like, grotesque. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's just this horrible like display of these children appropriating various cultures. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's so like lavish and gaudy and it's seemingly so expensive. Um and you, I mean, it It seems like there's a lot of, um, I don't know what the word would be, but I don't know. It seems like he's giving this production the side eye. He's looking at this, yeah, yeah. this yeah. circus. And, you know, on one hand, a film production, a fictional film production is very much like a snow globe, right? It's this insular world that that you have to be closed off for a lot of reasons and then Wiseman's the key to breaking through that because before we go into the production, he shows us all of the people wearing costume, just sitting around outside mm, the trailers, yeah, yeah. like this woman wearing a wedding dress, just chilling. Um, and then at the end, like you said, he shows us Coppola shaking his head, <laughs> saying, we lost the day. Very frustrating. <laughs> and bo- both both scenes the, that we're talking about, Reading Rainbow and, and, and the New York Stories one, are like they both recall model like the reading rainbow in sort of this cut like yeah. uh performance thing but um also <clears throat> coppola in like this uh you know when when he's following the documentary crew in that and and this like you know it's wiseman's movie um yes uh you know and yeah. um this this snow globe idea too just just 
briefly going back to the perimeter association <laughs> with again i think just that name is kind of remarkable it's great, it's uh, great. um but just to underscore like the darkness of that that setting like visually you go just across the street from Central Park, and what is it, right? Like, it's it's not Central Park anymore, you know, and that's being mm-hmm. expressed visually, and, yeah. and it, it really highlights the snow globe idea that, like, this is really this sort of unique entity within the city. Um, but, like, you, you talked about uh, the garden, Sean, and, like, I remember when I watched this for the first time maybe a year ago, like, I was talking about um, Central Park uh, being double billed with the Zha Zhenke, uh film yeah. the, the world mm-hmm. and that that was something you had invoked about the garden but like the way you know like like Central Park is bringing in Mississippi it's bringing in Africa it's bringing in uh, Puerto Rico and and mm-hmm. uh, the the gay pride parade and dinosaurs you know it's like yeah. just like the locus for all this sort of disparate these disparate groups and interests and you see something like Coppola and it really throws in a relief like I don't know like like I think a big part of the park and and the ideology ideology expressed at least by you know some certainly in the mountain bike scene and and elsewhere fundraising we haven't even talked about yet but that's an amazing scene <laughs> but like like is is the idea of this being for everyone right the park is it is accessible and open to everyone one of the pieces we read you know talking about um uh, just the idea of the public you know um but something like coppola is this like private requisition of the public space uh for yeah you know question mark you know like like what 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 purpose does this serve who who does it benefit right i mean in in the end it's like maybe coppola he doesn't seem to served by anything but i mean it's 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 the this other film that's being made right that's being made to uh turn a profit you know um and i think that's something that and also how do the people that are doing what they're doing serve wiseman's film as well for sure. I, I noted, I you know, I, I, it was a little hard to tell, but I think in the background of some of the shots in New York stories, you could kind of see onlookers through the pillars in the back looking in, mm. kind of confused, like, what's going on down there? They might not have totally blocked it off. But th- this idea, anyway, is, is something that seems to be, like, really important in the park. I mean, we could talk about symbiopsychotaxoplasm, certainly, as, like, you know, what what's going on within the park. There's the great scene of, like, the cops on a horse coming through asking for permits you know um but uh, a a film i watched in preparation for this that i i really recommend is like a a ready-made pairing is is the mazel's film the gates about the christo and jean-claude art installation that happened in central park in uh 2007 i believe somewhere around there um but this intense resistance to the idea of like our park the city's park the public's park like being imposed upon having some kind of private private imposition you know placed upon it without the consent of the people who use it right and like this this idea is seems to be like ever present uh and and just think about the park but i mean it, it you know take it beyond the park just take it into the civic infrastructure and cities in general you know things like we're wrestling with now about like i don't know like scooters or like you know like car shares or like you know just like taking up of public parking spaces by like uh rideshare companies or things like that you know it's like right. uh this never-ending like kind of chipping away at w- the public uh, sphere by by private mm-hmm. interests 
Yeah, or any of the number of, you know, uh, uh, community meetings in, in Jackson Heights. Um, yeah, and, sure. Yeah. Uh, or City Hall. Um, uh, going back to symbiopsychotaxoplasm, um, I mean, I think it's a really fascinating correlation. It was made like 20 years prior um, and covers a lot of the same turf from a totally different point of view i'm i'm really curious if there's any like record of wiseman having seen mm. symbio because yeah. like he was in that community you before it was released you just had to know greaves or know someone that that had a copy of the film to see it so i'm curious but like so anyways i teach the class um i it's it's the week one assignment for all of my 101 classes Hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's a really fun exercise just to shake them up and get them to, to think differently right off the bat. But the, um, before we have a discussion, I usually take a moment to, to define part of the title for them. Um, and so though symbiopsychotaxoplasm has no actual tangible uh definition symbiotaxoplasm is a term that that grieves built the title upon and it's it roughly translates to or, or refers to any social unit of people and everything they touch and change in a <laughs> given environment um and so of course uh this and so adding the psycho in that implies some sort of you know psychological angle or or uh, mm -hmm. investigation with that focus but i think both films are really fascinated by this idea symbio you know be revolving around something fictional the the core of the film is is this this fictional scene that's that's uh performed over and over again um but obviously because of how the film is is uh, how the film ends up, that is is just the starting point. It's incidental to all of the other events that revolve around it, to everything else that occurs when you get a group of people with a bunch of cameras making this thing in public. Um, and, and it covers so much of the same territory. There's... Um, it's very much about performance. Yeah. Over and over again. Well, and, and again, the layers of performance. Yeah, because performance it's not within just about, performance. Yeah. Right. And, and a point that I always make to my students is that, you know, as we're discussing it and the question comes up, did Greaves know what he was doing? Is he in control? <laughs> is he directing? Is he not directing? <laughs> um, I always, you know, ask them. You just go, yes. Well, <laughs> that's yes. The, that's, the, that's the right question. <laughs> sure. Well, yes, of course. But, you know, there is an answer in that what are Greaves' credits in the film? Is he just yeah. the director? No. He's also not only the editor, but he also credits himself as an actor. And so those things are really important in that context. He's he's not being himself William Greaves, right. the director, when right. he's wearing the green mesh shirt in front yeah. of the camera. He's, <laughs> he's putting on a performance. He's playing a role. Um, it's the, the performance of a shitty director kind of uh, to a certain extent to, to to instigate these more interesting elements that are going to compose the film that the real director William Greaves is trying to to achieve here right yes. like like uh, uh the, these amazing scenes of the crew like s separate from the only times we're not in central park are you know they're crammed into this small room just talking about this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing but yeah. maybe he does and maybe this is the point right <laughs> and like like you know addressing greaves at the editing room knowing right. that they're going to he's going to be watching yeah. this later yeah. right like <laughs> 
and and but the the kind of central element that central park offers symbiopsycho is is this idea of like uh i don't know like like i guess it's the the reason for the construct of like the three sort of different camera crews all filming simultaneously is that this element that any pocket of interest that has been set aside any like uh, physical space within the park can be intruded upon and recontextualized like at any given moment right yeah. like like the, the the film ends with that like french homeless dude coming coming on a scene and just like totally putting a button on the whole thing right yeah like- <laughs> again he like gives words to the thesis essentially <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, part of the crew is like, what's this guy doing here? Get him out of here. And Greaves is like, no, have this guy sign a release form. Like, this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. this is in the movie. This is the movie. Um, and yeah, so. Yeah, he, he does remind me of the, uh, the Godot guy in Welfare. Yeah. Yeah. Like very, and, you know, has, has this very intelligent background, um, and somewhere along the line just abandoned it. But when there's a camera around, there's a show. Yes, again, it's a performance. And and not to get like too far away with it, but you look look at what Greaves' other films are, and they're like pretty straight ahead social yeah. issue documentaries, you know, about uh, racial issues at the time, right? Yeah. They're they're not these sort of cerebral, like cinematic, theological, like just philosophical <laughs> explorations, yeah. you know, like right. so so you know that this guy can make a film you know yeah. that's not in question you know like like he is making this film like very purposefully and thoughtfully um not f- so much unlike what frederick weissman is doing you know people often kind of uh, slam him as you know just like going to a place and shooting what's there and and you know just presenting that to audiences and i mean like obviously i, I don't think anyone listening to this thinks thinks that but i mean that right. that is a common knock you know of course um, yeah well there's there's a review that arlen and i will be talking about in the first part of this that's just like talking about it's like even though it's positive talking about how uh it's it could have been two hours and it's just like some of the passages are just so dull and it's like bird watching and it's 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 talking about the stuff that is like the most powerful stuff in the film or like the most like resonant or like like the meeting scenes and just being like why do we need to see this and it's like why do you think this is a good movie I'm very curious why you keep calling him like a generational filmmaker. If you don't understand why this movie's good, if all you're doing is just like, keep watching. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, to that point, there is a lot of great people watching in this movie, you know, yeah, that totally. it scratches that itch. For sure. But you're right. And I mean, part of it comes from seeing more of his films. Uh, there's, there's a cumulative effect. Um, but that's the case for any filmmaker. So, um, I, right. I, I want to go back to something I, that I remembered I was going to bring up earlier, uh, Arlen, when you were talking about like artifice and and fabrication and, and how he'll take certain liberties. And I think in a macro level, we see something here that he does a lot, which is create sort of like a framework. And whenever there isn't one naturally in the timeline of the story or the film, he'll like he'll do a night and day cycle and uh-huh. it's present here. And it, I, I'm pretty sure it's like, uh, in, in Jackson Heights as well. Near where, death. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Exactly. He'll like use, uh, the, the sun and the moon to like create 
this this obviously fictionalized structure of this mm-hmm. is yeah. all happening in a day. Um, obviously, it couldn't it, be, but but he he shows it that way. And but then from a ma- micro level, I was listening to your interview with him, and I was dying. I was I was laughing so hard <laughs> in this moment where you're talking about. Um, I think it's Sinai Field Mission when the plane is taking off. And, <laughs> and, and you ask him about, you know, clearly that's a fabrication. Maneuver. Yeah, yeah. A maneuver, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so his response is so wonderful. He says something <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, I, I, I don't think it affected the plane. There's something along those lines where, like, of course, like, he doesn't care if the audience realizes it, he, he's manipulating something. He only cares if it affects the subject. And, and like... Right. That you know, so for for that reason, he would never rat on the cyclists, uh, but he will, <laughs> um, you know, fabricate a structure or or even a scene. And it's and it's so it's so simple and so brilliant the way that it facilitates the film. It yeah. facilitates a rhythm, um, you know, and it, uh, 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 something I keep going back to is like the the novel and what he's drawing from the novel. And a lot of that is rhythm. And it's like, well, what is this film without the rhythm of day and night? Um, mm. Like it just affects the way that you're viewing what you're viewing. And, and the way that you're viewing it is like just a, 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 the artifice of a refresh yeah. uh, does a lot. I want to talk about the cruising scene because I think Got that's it. like yeah, a, yeah. a sure. perfect example where like you have any. I, I are, need... there t- are there two cruising scenes or which one uh, there's there's, there's one like more the ex- lawn and then there's the the path right the, i'm talking yeah, about yeah. the path exactly yeah, yeah. Okay. and okay, so yeah. there's this i think it's a wonderful transition away from i don't know if it's the pride parade or the i i, I actually think it's the, the it's reading quilt. rainbow i think oh is uh, aids quilt one of them there is some like audio transition and overlap where you hear yeah, the yeah, main yeah. event happening in the background and you're on this path and and you see all these guys walking down this path and it's not totally clear what's happening but you can tell it's the same path and then you see one guy walking back and forth and then there's a reveal that there's another guy standing in the bushes <laughs> and i think that's where it's intended to click right where you see this guy yeah, standing yeah. and then they walk together and and without saying a word you you get the point you get what he's going for what he's showing you even if that sequence is unconnected in terms of how he shot it but then he takes it further and then he shows you the path is empty and a police cruiser is coming down the <laughs> other way. Um, and then the final button on that and where it becomes humorous is then he shows like these middle-aged white women like yeah, power yeah. walking <laughs> yeah. down the same path, totally, <laughs> totally. oblivious yeah, to yeah. their... I forget what they're talking about. Right. But, it, you know, they're, they have no idea. Um, and so yeah. he could have shot that over the course of weeks. Right. You know, it could have been separate paths, yeah. but the way that he put it together tells a story. Um, and this film is filled with wonderful moments like that. Well, yeah, it, it, it's coming after the Reading Rainbow scene because most of that sequence is scored to like sort of the sound of yeah, African, African drums, music. like off in the distance, you know. And it it opens with this really awesome shot of a guy trying to feed a squirrel on who's yeah. like hanging on a tree branch or on on the trunk rather, uh, uh, just trying to feed him out of his hand. And and you're right, like, you know, it's it's kind of this, what am I being shown? You know, what's happening in this space? Um, But yeah, within the context of like what we see of the park as a whole, like this this is such um, confined 
kind of area, right? It's almost like two walls of green in a hallway, you know, yeah. which serves you know, the purpose of, of the space for cruising pretty well. Um, but like the, this guy, uh, this lone guy just at one point pops out of the bushes and like seems to notice yeah. the camera there and being like, whoa, you know, yeah, <laughs> kind yeah, of like, like just imagine, you know, like getting done whatever he was doing and coming out and there, there's a film crew, you know, and you're like, oh shit. Like, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Fred's a pretty worldly guy, but you gotta wonder to what extent is he figuring out that moment too? And, right, and yeah. when does he realize what he's capturing? But I mean, you know, talk, we got to talk, I guess, just touch on at least the the earlier scene, just kind of the lawn, you know, of, of all these men, like kind of just lying there, like tanning or mm. it doesn't really become explicit until we see two men just lying and embrace with each other, you know, on, on like a, some kind of beach towel kind of thing. Um, but just kind of this, this like scene. And I think, I think it might be the same setting that we see briefly in cruising the, uh, movie with Pacino, right? Where he's, I think he's in the same lawn in Central Park. I don't Park. remember. Um, which pr- pretty be, sure. Yeah. 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 But like, like, you know, so, so which came, the, the gay community in New York came out like super strongly against to the point that they had to like do all this ADR because there was the sound of protests during the shooting <laughs> on the soundtrack. But like, like, you know, talking about, you know, this kind of being maybe like, I guess coming uh, after hospital and models, you know, sort of kind of the next progression, you know, going into in Jackson Heights, which is way off in the future, but uh, not probably not coincidentally all New York City films, um, but dealing with kind of different stages of of what the LGBT community in New York was mm-hmm. experiencing at the time. And like, you know, the, the quilt scene is it, it, it kind of, uh pervades throughout you know it it, yeah. it it reverberates and echoes and like uh we talked last episode this was also the year of of um the the memorial memorial quilt doc that, that won the oscar so like like but even that scene um with all of its relative like heft and seriousness compared to the rest of the film too is not without its it's like human levity i think and and like the quilt scene? the quilt scene yeah 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 you know yeah. like 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 it it it's being touched like this the serious somber subject is being touched by the quality of the park i think where it is very open it is it's all these different um families and ethnicities like intermingling for this shared purpose right and it's <laughs> yeah. like a, a another locus uh of the public like quote unquote you know and what the park offers um in a in a way that that's not only mournful but but kind of celebratory as well and it's also not condescending like yeah. it's like it's it's kind of underscored by this child who's very curious and doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. The, the double dare fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Double, he's wearing. Uh, this is like super <laughs> uh, inside baseball, but the, it cracked me up because he's wearing a double dare shirt. This Nickelodeon game show, and his dad reads a name off the quilt, Mark. Mark Summers. And the kid's like, <laughs> Mark Summers. Who's the host of Double Dare? Like, was never, but like this guy kid is just so into the show Double Dare, which yeah. you know, I, I went I went <laughs> off in my head a little trying to justify. But I don't think Weissman had ever seen it. But you think about those last uh, contests in the show where it's just a kid going from like 
weird little activity to little activity to win <laughs> like a different toy at each stop when he picks the flag up you know it's like it's kind of the structure of the central park <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sure uh, but but the honesty of that that kid like the curiosity it gives it like just a, just an honest uh, view of like what this memorial looks like without being mm-hmm. like, oh, it has to be so sad and like mournful. It just feels nice. Well, and I think he's giving so much, uh, there's so much respect in how he gives so much time just to the names and to the, the, yeah, yeah. the pieces. Um, what they, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this is, again he's coming right off of near death i don't think he feels Mm. like he has anything to prove necessarily in terms of his ability to manage serious subject matter um and so i think there's a lot of balance here with not only the aids quilt but also the pride parade as well as these other more fleeting moments where Mm -hmm. it it just becomes natural right it just becomes Mm -hmm. a part of the fabric of of the community of people that that are using this space and the placement of this scene within the film is also uh uh it feels it feels nice like the, it, it does really give it like a little balance it gives it like a little paperweight or something you yeah know? it's it's interesting and then it's it's kind of like um it's bookended by by a couple scenes that made me laugh that made me smile and not necessarily in an ironic way um there's the the picnic mm-hmm. luncheon um where they're they're talking about the great hill and the, and there's that that big scene um and then we're shown the tennis house like minutes before <laughs> we we go to the meeting scene we see the tennis house um which just makes me laugh and then <laughs> but there's this one moment where like it goes to a a, a medium wide shot of a guy just sitting on the patio and it looks like um it looks like Wyatt Earp in My Darling Clementine. There's just something <laughs> so beautiful and graphic about the way um that image is framed. Um and then the AIDS quilt, and then right after the AIDS quilt, we get the mime guy who's following the guy and making him laugh, you know, <laughs> mimicking him. Um and so I, I you know, I think it's obvious in any interview with the guy, yours especially, that he knows what he's doing you know he's a very hyper aware of of how he's modulating our feelings or or the degree to which he he is hesitant to manipulate or you know is resisting using his footage manipulatively mm-hmm. well i think i think too the one last thing about the quilt scene i think you're you're dead on about like kind of the structure um alex and and just the rhythms he's able to create visually and tonally you know that that keeps the the mixture of everything going on pretty balanced you know there there aren't it doesn't feel like this is an up and down film it feels like you're always moving you know like something mamber noted was maybe the influence of music videos a little bit which is not (laughs) not something you hear in reference to weissman but like the this thing moves right it like the cuts are are fast and heavy especially you know for weissman um but the the quilt scene you know especially coming before the mind scene which i already talked about this like simulacral theme but here we also have fabric instead of loved ones you know quilts instead of sons and brothers and and lovers right another way in which weissman is expressing this idea visually of of 
simulacra and like inadequate shadows and and just sort of how um you know this this dialectic between like what really is and what's being constructed totally absolutely which uh the idea of like construction i wanted to go back before we uh uh stop stealing your time alex um uh i wanted to go back to kind of where we first started um with talking about deconstruction and construction um like um because we, we we talked about like uh the many ways that we're seeing what happens in the park in order for the park to be the park and which i think goes hand in hand with his fascination with process um and also labor um but instead of like a packaged good here like a meat or whatever um here we see uh the labor that goes into like a pavarotti concert or keeping up just the daily aesthetic of of a well-kept space um or the management of of homeless people like we talked about and um i believe it was dan armstrong the piece that we talked about uh with the 70s films but which actually that piece was written um in 1989 interestingly enough but um where he's talking about this historical materialist approach um of of wiseman's um and this like willingness to examine the labor that makes things happen whether that is like a packaged you know good or a social event um or even in near death we're seeing you know the the grim sweeper um and in in this academic piece that um arlen and i read um on central park uh which is just from a couple years ago um he talks about this the sequence in the very beginning of this sunbather uh, shown in this closed frame of just on the yeah. grass, and then and then this this the giant lawnmower, lawnmower. Co- <laughs> giant lawnmower comes in, and he he has this great uh, point about it, this visual implication. He says um, the park's capacity for leisure is contingent on machinery and labor and organization, and of course it's great that he does this in the opening minutes of the film, but but this is much different approach than if Wiseman was just showing us the ways that people are enjoying this public space, you know, like it's, it's inherently political, um, even if it's not, you know, political, like in the peace rally, but, um, uh, and this is also something that we will, we'll see in zoo, uh, you know, in incredibly fascinating ways, like the things that happen in order for people to enjoy the zoo as the zoo, uh, is crazy. Um, and, this is this just generally is like the stuff that I find so rich about uh, starting with Central Park, like his sort of uh, like H.W. and Clinton era films um, is like the expose is is long gone, of course. And the comedy like we were talking about is like a bit heightened um, and he's just kind of like exposing institutions, not in the sense of showing like all the bad shit that they're doing, but like exposing what it means for them to exist and how their existence reflects back on us like what what america means mm-hmm. not to be like too grand but um in in that academic piece that arlen and i read um it, which was written by adam o'brien o'brien's larger point is about how central park is it's like not this like um and arlen i think you've you've taught you've hinted at this uh during this episode but it's not this like idyllic space of like egalitarian society as he said, that somehow like exists outside of, of the city's socioeconomic um, structure and forces, but it reflects them. 
And um, he, he talks about how like the park's provisions are reflected along class lines and racial lines. <clears throat> and, and part of, part of that exposing a big part of it is what labor, like what the labor to maintain it looks like. Um, and when I think about like somebody cutting the shears, this guy cutting the shears, like how much labor does it take? Like what kind of work does it take? How much does that labor cost? Who is doing it? What do admin think of the people doing it? The hierarchy, like you were talking about, um, Alex, and also what do the laborers think about what they're doing? Sure. I mean, we get that in bits and pieces. Um, um, to, to take it back one step, I think, you know, when I think about this film, if I want to, if I try to categorize it uh, with others um, in his body of work, I, I feel like it's a lot more akin to Belfast, Maine or Monrovia, where mm-hmm. he's broadening his his lens and he's looking at a much greater uh, area that that encompasses a lot more nuance um and and so the systems are vaster um and and in that um in the case of this we see all these different sides like you're talking about it and it's not just recreation it's not just uh commerce it's also very political. It's also religious to a certain degree. I mean, we mm-hmm. we haven't yeah. talked about the mayor yet. <laughs> Every time the mayor's on screen, he's talking about God. Um, yeah. and and that's a common refrain throughout this film. People. Marriage ceremony, exactly. Well, same, same thing with the the mountain bike guy, who's like, you yeah. know, the park is like a holy place. Uh, no one should defile it. I mean, you wouldn't leave your garbage in a church or a synagogue. Right. Exactly. And and he alternately compares it to to a space of of worship and your living room. You know, yes. he's like with the same idea of of stewardship and reverence. I guess you know, like uh, these just kind of. I think what you're talking about too is thinking about some of these connections to other films. Is like, um, I wonder if maybe you even have to go back as far as hospital maybe model or near death as well. But when you, you know, one of the things we're always talking about here is the idea ideologies espoused by these institutions and how they're put into practice. Right. And I think central park, you know, for all of its warts, I think one of the things that, that helps you come away feeling like this was like a good fun film is that it's like a relatively good fun institution. That's, that is performing its, uh, ideology you know not perfectly but like to a reasonable degree of success right yeah i mean there's that moment um uh, touching on what you're asking sean there's that moment where like we see all of the the summer workers like gathered together and their supervisor is talking about you put all your effort into this job this summer next summer it's going to be that much easier for you to go out into the workplace whether it be here in central park or anywhere, and use Central Park as a recommendation for your future endeavors. So always keep that in mind, because uh, this is this is a building block. This is the start for many of you, and for many of you, it could be a new beginning, too. So, you know, give it your all, and I hope you enjoy this park this summer, because it's in a great place to work in. Like, this is a new opportunity, as if, you know, these are people who have had trouble with the law right. or whatever and and there, it, it's not clear you're kind of right there's there's no indication whether they're getting paid whether this is community service or or something in between 
Um, you don't get as much detail as you might in one of his other films, um, but it's there, you know? We we get to see that side of the park. Um, it's just not and also, discussed. And it, also, it, like, it's... Um nothing is given preference you know right. all all of this labor is rendered right uh with the same kind of like um just craft and like like cinematically you know as anything else we see in the film you know we didn't even talk about the the black maid during the, oh my god <laughs> yes of course but, well, well just it- just just real quickly though like the the labor of the arborists, you know, seeing the guys trimming the trees and like yeah. Weissman and Davy are just kind of shooting up at him with this, you know, you, you invoked Malik and, right. and poetry earlier, you know, through the dappled light of the branches, you know, like, yeah. like it's just, you know, it, it, it is all part, you know, the labor to maintain the park is not just for the benefit of the people using the park. It's like part of the purpose of the park. It's, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. What were you going to say about the the maid, Alex? It, you know, there's there's this. Um, <clears throat> it, it's the Clifford Odets uh, of it all. I don't know if that reference is landing, um, but he's like uh, he's the um, he's the the playwright, the real world playwright that was the model for Barton Fink. He was like this New York oh, okay. playwright who was fascinated by the stories of the people, the working class. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. And and Wiseman <laughs> has this, you know, this this quality where like. I think of uh, when I think of that that scene where or that moment where you have the black maid and it's almost as if like like Wiseman is starved for this, like to to see a crack <laughs> or to see a blemish in this almost perfect society. And then he sees uh, this this person who's seemingly out of place, but but, uh, you know, shows it's almost didactic. The way right. That he, he, he goes just, out like, of lingers. his way to show. Yeah. Yes. Know, and, like, and then yeah. linger. There's <laughs> yeah. there's another moment just like that in Aspen, which is, again, a one even more so primarily focused on a, a higher class of people in general or a, a location yeah. that that is is designated for a higher class of people. And then like at the end, when there's um like that big event, uh, he's in the kitchen with the workers, you know, preparing the food and, yeah, yeah. and you get the sense that the, the labor, yeah. right. He's starved for that in, in the context of that film that he's, he's yeah, been it's... looking for that. Um, and all he had were just the wide shots of the snow cats. Um, and it's, and it's, and, and you're right. It's not always about him, like trying to expose a part. Like it's, it's all of these things, right. He is showing like the, the, you know, the, the, racial lines um involved but also it's all about the deconstruction of what has to happen in order for this to happen yeah um and how does this happening affect the people they're helping it happen like it's it's it it's just um it's everything it's it's all deconstruction well um, he because and, and he yeah. talks about it he, he he doesn't even try to make any judgment value as he's in the midst of it because it's all happening so fast he wouldn't be able to do what he was doing if he was thinking on that level um right. and even if there is a judgment made after the fact he he usually does his best to like edit that away you know to right. to 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 try to approach things with more objectivity um at least you know that's how he would explain it i think this is this is also a way that it resembles belfast is like um a big part of living in belfast a big part of daily life is labor and making things happen like being the backbone for various industries but that we'll save that for <laughs> yeah, um, sure. uh, uh, can, can we talk 
I don't have a read on this, so I want to know what what you guys thought. The fountain watercolor pastel art class scene that is soundtrack to this kid's story about like it just oh, yeah. like she took out this stupid big knife this knife was like this big her knife yeah her knife and she said now i dare you to cut your hand off okay. okay huh i said i dare you to cut your hand off you dare me to take my eye out and i took it out for you now i dare you to cut your hand off so he cuts his hand off and then, and then oh, he, it's, it's very strange story, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> then, then she, she doesn't start cutting up his chest. So he started cutting up his chest wide open and all. And you see all the blood coming out. And then the guys who were in charge of the camp, the camp master, whatever, what do you call that? Ranger? Uh, a ranger? I guess no. a ranger. Anyway, those guys who are in charge, they, they come inspecting around. They come checking up on people that they're all okay. And he saw him. So he said, hey man, you all right? But there, look, at, there was no girl around. Now how can that be? No, he was all cut up and everything. But there was no girl around. How can that be? So it was like a dream? No, it wasn't a dream. He was all cut up. Oh, I see. But anyway, it wasn't a girl, right? It wasn't a dream, it was real. But there was no girl around. How can that be? He himself do it? Yeah, he imagined the whole thing. He, he imagined that he was with the girl the whole time. So they sent him back to the, to the mental hospital. He had to stay there like for six months, and then they let him out. Let me say, I want to be sure, this is a true story or just a story that you made yesterday? I, last I night? made it, yeah. Where well, you get that? From a movie. You know, the film yeah. is truth, you know, like Weissman kind of, you know, talking to the audience and that, but I mean, beyond that, we, you know, this, this, uh, yeah, not to toot my own horn, but I was, I was reminded of my film backyard, you know, this dichotomy of like kind of pleasant images with like really grisly Uh. audio, you know, like, like, and this collision between the soundtrack and, and the images, like, like what, what were you guys thinking about during that scene? Absolutely. I mean, it's discussed in that piece you sent, Sean, where like you have this extreme moment of contrast where the images are these gorgeous, beautiful, luscious images of not only the flowers and the water, but also the painting being done of them. And then this horrible, grisly story that, uh, you know, whether or not it's real or a dream or a, a, a half-remembered thing from a, from another film, um, I think that points to to Wiseman's sense of humor or sense of yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I hesitate to use the word irony, and and the piece says explicitly it, it shouldn't be considered irony. Um, right. I don't know what it is, but it's just this particular type of humor where he finds this collision of opposites. Um, to be something that's in- interesting, it's it to me. It's kind of doubled down on in the following scene, which is the wedding scene. And on the surface, again, it's this beautiful moment. It's a wedding in the middle of Central Park. But if you actually listen to the words, it's horribly grisly. <laughs> There's like all of this, like the, when the guy is talking, he's talking about. I submit myself to you in love, Elaine, and give me, give myself to you, as my wedding gift my flesh to exercise your authority over that I might not defraud you of pleasure. And then when the woman speaks, there's this other layer, it seems as if like 
she's either reading vows that he wrote for her or if she's written vows that she knows he wants to hear. I feel like the most privileged woman on earth because God has given you to me for my husband. Not you are my chosen one. Not chosen by me, but chosen for me. I will uphold your honor in the eyes of others and remember to praise you when I'm with them. I admire you, respect you, and love you. Yeah, it seems like she's like directly addressing an argument they had in the yeah, past or right. something. She says, like... I'll praise you in the presence of others, I'll value your opinions. I'll put our relationship before my personal desires. I mean, there, it, it, you, it, it's yeah. really icky. Um, and it's also, that's also, well, one, it's like, you know, another expression of American identity in the park. Um, but also it's contrasted to like the gay pride parade and the sensibility that we see between these. Absolutely. I mean, even in the pride parade, there's that like uh, the the homophobia dragon and it's got the like the visage <laughs> of the Pope hanging by its <laughs> yeah. neck from it. Um, the cardinal so. we saw, you know, not too far before that too, and and Alex, that that seems a good one to bring up in this idea of like um, conflict and collisions, because like you know the the pastor guys talking about you know like oh this sort of city on a hill thing and this beautiful garden and god has brought us here meanwhile the soundtrack is just all like a plane going overhead <laughs> and like people walking through their wedding and stuff like you right. know the the uh i guess again sort of like the the collision of public and private you know and and trying to carve out your place in the park and you know the ways that is limited um in, right. in practice right mm-hmm. it's it's the garden of eden in our mind um mm-hmm. yeah well i think I that's a lovely is, note to, it seems to... like it's going to be longer than your usual episodes <laughs> no uh Hope you cut it this down <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, we're like wise men. We never edit. Uh, uh, no, this has been fantastic. If uh, if, if you were a Central Parkosaurus, what what would your roar sound like? <laughs> oh, God. What? what is that guy? What was that guy? I think that I that, guy, that guy that guy um, in the like, O'Brien piece. He's he's one of the people in the Conservancy. I think. He, uh, I think he's but, the commander. Commissioner, the park but, commissioner. But um, he had. Okay. They, have they called him by name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Henry Stren, I think, unless I typed that wrong. Because uh, at first you're just like, oh, this guy's an amateur, like geologist. It's such a right. weird note that he's talking. Like, like. It's a pleasure to be here on stage at the Great Lawn of Central Park in this historic place to pay tribute to one of the earliest inhabitants of this planet, the noble dinosaur. Although they lived a hundred million years ago, dinosaurs fascinate us even today. Although none of us, none of the five billion people living on the face of this earth has ever even seen a dinosaur. Nonetheless, we know of them and we treasure them. Why this fascination on the part of the human being of Homo sapiens with these large reptiles who uh, were not even our ancestors? 
they were much too big, and in any event, they died out. It's for a number of reasons. One is their size. They are the, la the largest land creatures ever to exist on Earth, and comparable to the great tuna fish. There, there is this kind of like, yeah, dinosaurs are cool and cool are interesting, but there's also like this level of like, this is so dumb. Why am I doing this? Like, yeah, dinosaurs, yeah, yeah. whatever, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, and yeah. this, and then it, it seemed to be like a big production. They had these like animatronic dinosaurs, you know, around the, the stage and like, you know, big, obviously we talked about the balloon thing, but like, like, it's just such a weird note of a guy who like simultaneously doesn't want to be there, but is like also yeah. happy to be there. I don't know. And there's also the, the, again, like the contrast between like the marriage and these like very Christian beliefs and the idea of talking about dinosaurs and celebrating like, <laughs> the, exist, like the, the historical like significance of, of dinosaurs. And the idea too, the idea too, he, he expresses of like, you know, what will the, the dominant organisms on this planet think of us, you know, right. millions of years in the future and the idea yeah. that, that you know, Central Park Weissman's film might be a key towards understanding those creatures for right, the future, right. you know? A natural history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know he's eating up a moment like that because any opportunity he has for, for you know, the subject to put a fine point on his on his themes is he relishes. Like, the <laughs> the whole film, you know, beyond the themes we've already mentioned, it's about time, right? It's about the cyclical nature it's about the way that the park changes over time the 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 end is the revolving uh carousel yeah, yeah. and then With like the music there. from yeah. yeah over there exactly <laughs> so it's like it's making you think about an era that was barely even discussed um yeah, true. Which, so, which you know, Tennis House, too, they're all deriding. Right. This was from the 20s. You know, yes. it wasn't the Olmstead era of, like, the relic. original beauty of the park. It was this nothing time for the park, you know, of, like, brutalist <laughs> concrete structures. I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely, a lot of a lot to talk about in this movie. A lot to it's talk a good. About. Movie. We, I mean, we didn't even yeah. talk about the Central Park Five like that. You know, that totally. When I was yeah, watching yeah, yeah, this yeah. that like looms over this whole. Well, thing. I think yeah, O'Brien sure. sort of talks about the absence of that, which hadn't happened at the time of shooting. Right. It happened yeah, yeah. just before, but this this idea that sort of hinted at, especially in the perimeter scene and the luncheon scene of the conservancy of this sort of conception of what goes on in Bad the park time. by by yeah. the moneyed class is like you know the beginning of the warriors right, right. like whenever all the gangs right. of the city convening right. uh, on this uh, piece of land that like you are meant to stay out of but i think i think the mountain you know maybe there gangs. there's some conscious pushback against that conception by weissman maybe you know like like maybe mm -hmm. i don't i don't think he's there to like proselytize on the park's behalf but he's he's there to show what it is and it's a lot more than than that sort of like fear-mongering you know crime right. stereotype of course yeah i mean i think i think it's truly warts and all you know it's just yeah. not quite so warty as some of his other subjects for sure you um, can cut that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Alex, for coming on and, and discussing this film and um, helping us reveal how how great it is. Hey, thanks for having me. I hope uh, I had a great time. Yeah, hope, this was a blast. Uh, 
I hope uh, yeah. this was a value to your listeners. Yeah. We'll listen back to it and judge whether it's worth <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. You know. Hey, I know Miriam Bale, so. <laughs> Few of us right. are. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, Until cool. next time, we will see you later. Okay. Thanks, Alex. I think what you're seeing here are Mr. Freilich's uh, renditions of a renovation for the house. Uh, incorporating the concept of this beautiful house that we now presently have, which is perfectly sited. There, this house, the architect that did this knew exactly what he was doing. He sited this house so that you can view the entire uh, Central Park tennis courts. There was no necessity, as the architect from the Parks Department has told us, who are moving it up five feet closer to the tennis courts so that you can sit there and have tennis balls bounce off your head. Now, if we have to move the house in order to give a new perspective or to build a new house in order to say we've done something different, I think that's rather bad planning. I think this house is sited just perfect, just the way it is. And the architect of 60 years ago knew how to site this house.